Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I am your host, Kieran B. And I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided, decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and a revolving co-host will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who-should-have-won podcast. We are here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie that you think is trash, we encourage you to write in at bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. That's our email. You can also hit us up on Twitter. We're on Twitter at bestpicturecast. And I am joined here for our first social distancing episode with Joey R. Joey, how are you doing today, man? Doing good. Quarantine. This is this is quite different than our normal, normal setup, but uh, I think it's going to work. I think so, too. I don't get to see your lovely face, but um, you know, I guess I joined the listeners with that today. There you go. Yeah, it's it's more in, more immersive experience. Definitely, definitely. So uh, this is kind of life now. So we don't uh, <laughs> we don't know exactly when this particular episode is going to be in the in the exact timeline for Best Picture Cast. But we'll uh, this will be our our little bottle episode, and we'll plug it in where necessary. It's a beautiful thing. Keep it safe. Keep it locked. Absolutely. And uh, today we are talking about going my way. 1944's Going My Way. Joey, this was your first experience with the movie, I take it? Uh, yeah, 100%. Okay. 100%. <laughs> it, it, uh, is the, it was the second time I'm watching this. I, I saw it saw it a few years back. Yeah, when we were talking about what to do kind of for the quarantine episode, we were, you know, I was kind of looking for something a little bit more straightforward so that that back and forth kind of banter wouldn't get lost yeah i think we narrowed it down to like five or so and then yep. we we kind of you know you you gave me back two and then you know we we, we went with this so it's a lighter f- affair it's again it's the of course movie ever made yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right and i think too with with all these at least all these so far i'm it seems like when you crack the egg open more of it comes out than you expected it would so uh, I know, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but when I put this movie on and started doing a little research and stuff, a whole slew of stuff come out, came out that I wasn't ready for. And I'm, uh, I agree. The, the research was much less um, straightforward than I expected. It, it kind of, a lot of things started coming up and different paths to follow it became really interesting. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I don't know if it's the cause or effect of that, but the time of the time of in our history that this is coming out here in 1944 we're smack dab in the middle of world war ii and there's just a lot of wacky things going on in the country just like there's a lot of wacky things going on in the country today yeah for sure i mean yeah definitely yeah. crazy crazy times yeah and honestly with all the things going on and every time you watch the news it's an absolute disaster uh it wasn't it wasn't the worst thing sitting there on uh the day before easter watching it's a really happy movie you know didn't that's make, right didn't, did, didn't make me sad, I'll tell you that. I was like, all right, That's you know right. what? I'll take this. That's right. I'm happy tears. Happy tears. And uh, yeah, we'll and we'll we won't bring up uh we won't bring up the current events and date this podcast any more than we already have today, but we'll uh, be be focusing our efforts toward nineteen forty four. Uh but before we do that, I can't see what you're drinking today, so why don't you tell me, Joe? 
I'm actually I'm going Montauk Seltzer. Uh, the, um, right now I have the black cherry flavor. Um, you know, it's really nice, and refreshing drink. Wow, groundbreaking! Groundbreaking on BPC uh, here. In our first social distancing episode, we have our first non-beer drinker. Yeah, and I was I was not, you know very aware of that, but I, I went with it because my other option I was going to go uh, Buffalo Trace, but I was like, you know, what, let me stick with the seltzer. I'm going to be taking down whiskey in the middle of this. Right. Yeah, I was going left. To, I was going left to center, whichever way we went. No doubt, no doubt. I have a uh, the Twenty First Amendment brewery, uh, brewery. Oh, nice! And it's the Hell or High Watermelon. It's their seasonal wheat beer. It's that's the watermelon one, right? Yes, yes, the watermelon yeah. wheat beer. I always look forward that's to the, it. I think that's the best watermelon out there. I think so too. It's real. It's real smooth. It's got like a little hint of sour to it. Yep, it's, it's between that and the Montauk watermelon. I think, and which best. was my other choice. So we almost went double Montauk here today. Yeah, I've just been. This is one I like. The, this and the Cold Snap I look forward to every year. So I'm drinking my Heller High watermelon in my Sam Adams Cold Snap glass. Perfect. So before we get to going my way, I want to toss this to you a little bit because I know we we talked on the side a little bit when Chicago came up and the whole topic of musicals came up. Myself and Rob Bobcat had a, a great time talking Chicago. And we're back in the musical stretch here today. I did want to kick off to you because now we have, this is after watching this movie, this is an interesting one to talk about too, but do, do you have anything to add to the discussion that we had on what makes a musical, what is a musical, what isn't a musical? Do you think that Star is Born is a musical? Do you think that Ray is a musical or is a musical more your traditional sound of music? Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough. And I think even before you guys did Chicago, me and you went back and forth, I think with RDB about a star is born. And I think I think it's kind of is the music driving the plot or is the music kind of sideways of the plot? Mm -hmm. And I love I love a star is born. I mean, if you my Spotify, like 2019 most played um, Star is Born soundtrack was number two. So I'm a big fan of the movie. I, I don't. I think it's kind of, I think that's as close as you get. And then, you know, you know, you bring up Ray, then you bring up, you know, Walk the Line or Walk the Line, La La Land. Like there's a lot of them where it's La kind La of like Land. on the side. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And I, we didn't mention La La Land when we were discussing this in the Chicago episode. I, you know where I'm kind of going with this? And I thought a little bit about this today. Well, let me ask you this before I answer. Is Going My Way a musical? See, well, that's the thing because I think I'm kind of changing where I think about it because going into because my point on the discussion was that Stars Born is more of a drama that's has musical elements, but with Going My Way, the first song didn't come up till 33 minutes into it. Yeah, there, there wasn't a ton of music. A Star Is Born is more of a musical than this. Yeah, it's true. I think so. Is that's kind of. But music certainly drives the plot here in this one. One hundred percent, very plot driven. I mean, the the story of the girl, the name of the movie based off the song. I mean, you know, music's music's hitting the essential plot points here, which it also does. A star is born, but differently, I think. Yeah. So I, th I, I think but, that you know, when, look, when you said it, stars born's a drama, and is it a drama about musicians when their song? I think where I'm going with this is I think that if we're telling a fictional story with fictional characters and the plot is centered around and driven by music, I'm comfortable with calling it a musical. So I'm comfortable with calling Stars Born a musical. I'm comfortable with calling Going My Way a musical. Now, when we talk about a biopic about a Ray Charles or a Johnny Cash and you're using the music while telling their non-fictional story – 
that's more of a biop biopic to me. Right. That's more I, of a biopic. I, I agree with that. Right. Because it, it's it's kind of it's more of a time marker than a plot device, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's the difference. And you know, and I think there's also something to be said for like the reality of things. Like Star is Born is super based in reality. But then you look at like Greece or La La Land, and there's kind of unreal things about it. So you know they're all different. It's just kind of how they fall and whatever. They're all great. Who yeah, we're shit? we're just you know <laughs> we're just filling pockets. And then to really blow your mind, what is Eight Mile then? Because you have a fictional character based on a on a real a real you know a real guy, and it's kind of told like a biopic. So right. So, but I th- I would think that goes more into the musical, even though it's so close to. It's it's tight. I think that one. I think that was one of the ones that kind of you could argue both and not be wrong, or argue all. It's it's tough. It is tricky. It is tricky. And uh, for all intents and purposes, we're going to operate today as if it is a musical, because I think that many, if not all, would consider going my way a musical. Just more more or less, even just based on the legacy that's left. Right. You know, because when I when I think musical, I think Ave Maria and Silent Night. <laughs> All right, so are we ready here? Uh, yeah, I think let's let's go at it. Let's do it. It's time. It's 1944. Old friend Franklin Delano Roosevelt defeats Thomas Dewey in a World War II time election, and then he is elected into an unprecedented fourth term in office. That means we're going to be bringing up FDR quite a bit here in these intros. The World Series is a very topical World Series to this movie. It is a Battle of St. Louis. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. St. Louis, the hometown of Bing Crosby's character in this movie. And this marks the only time in the four major sports that two teams from St. Louis competed in the championship. St. Louis Cardinals defeat the hosting St. Louis Browns. And I say hosting because the St. Louis Browns owner was the landlord of the building that both teams played in. I'd have to go back and look. I probably should have before this. If if another World Series was played all games in one stadium, I'd have to check that out. I know uh, at, during the Earthquake World Series that might have been done. But anyway, it's in it's a St. It's Louis Cardinals victory over the St. Louis Browns in six games. This is the Browns' only appearance in the World Series as a franchise. And they are the favorite team of Father O'Malley, Bing Crosby's character. You'll see him wear the jersey in the movie and even give it as a gift. And I believe they attend a Browns game as the Browns yeah, visit Yankee, Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium. St. Louis Browns relocate to Baltimore in 1954, and they rename the team the Orioles. So they are today known as the Baltimore Orioles. The song of the year, staying on topic with our movie, is from the movie Going My Way. It's Swinging on a Star by Bing Crosby. Spent eight weeks at number one. It also takes home the Oscar. And for the first time, we have the movie taking place in the intro as Swinging on a Star is the song of 1944. So it's Going My Way. It's directed by Leo McCary. Screenplay is by Frank Butler and Frank Cavett. It's starring Bing Crosby, Barry Fitzgerald, Reese Stevens, Gene Heather, Frank McHugh, and Gene Lockhart. It wins the Oscar for Best Picture. It wins the Oscar for Best Actor, Bing Crosby, 
Best Supporting Actor, Barry Fitzgerald. Best Director, Leo McCrary. Best Original Story, Leo McCrary, a now defunct award. Best Screenplay, Frank Butler and Frank Cavett. And Best Original Song, Swingin' on a Star, written by Jimmy Van Hoosen. It's also nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Lead Actor, Barry Fitzgerald. And we'll talk about the quirkiness of that fact that he was nominated for both Supporting Actor and Lead Actor in the same movie. Uh, so going my way, Joey, talk to me. Uh, what Had you heard about this movie before? Did you know anything about this before digging into this this week? No, I had zero relationship with this. It was no Bing Crosby from the Christmas stuff that comes that you hear every year. But that's it. I had heard Swinging on a Star somewhere before. There was a familiarity with that. But this actual movie, um, besides seeing it on these lists, I, I had never really known anything about it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, was the same deal for me when I first saw this one, which is probably about seven or eight years ago. Not an insignificant movie at all. It was the top-grossing film of 1944. Yeah, it made a lot of money. It made a lot of money at the time. What was the uh, what was what did it bring in at the time? I mean, it brought in 16.4 million, which is 250 million dollars with inflation. It brought in a lot of money. Crazy. Yeah. And just, I guess, just a real feel-good family story that they could pitch to the masses, especially at wartime. Yeah, and Bing Crosby was big on doing stuff for the troops. Like you said, the timeliness of it, it was perfect. And put this guy out there in the most feel-good movie that's just, what's to hate about it? Yeah, and... yeah, I mean, yes, you know, you could, I'm sure that, I'm sure that, you know, if you, you could probably hate anything, you know, well, <laughs> especially if you don't have a smile on your face and somebody else that does. That's true. I mean, you can't ignore the wartime impact here. Like you said, Bing Crosby was, was well-versed with helping the troops. And I read one thing that he was considered the, the single most morale raiser. Yeah, I saw that too. Troops. Like him. So, I mean, that's pretty significant about his importance at the time. Yeah, his recorded voice just, just uplifted yeah. the troops while they were overseas. Right, and, and I, saw that, I saw that, and then I also saw that at the same time, he was voted the most looked-up-to man, like, year after year around this time. Unreal. No wonder it made so much money. Yeah, and, and you know, we're going to – we'll have a little section where we focus more on or just talk about Bing Crosby and his legacy. But as far as the song goes, because I would say that when I saw this one, other than obviously Bing Crosby's voice, which is just epic and legendary, and you can't, you know, it's one of the most distinguishable voices you'll ever hear. Fact. Uh, The song itself is probably something while I watched the movie, I was like, oh, I know this song. And, um, you know, but I guess listeners, man, I, I coach baseball as well. I coach high school baseball. And uh, a few years back, a one of the coaches that I coached with, older older guy, when we'd have like these tense moments, okay, or the the game would have just little periods of of intensity or high tension, he would either whistle or hum like old school show tunes, you know. That's and, awesome. <laughs> and you know, we so me and one of the other coaches would be like, oh, oh, oh he's hum, he's humming again. Here we go. And it would either, you know, there would be like a, a sometimes it would be like a Wizard of Oz song or it would be something. And Swinging on a Star was one of the songs that he would, would be one of his go-tos in those bases loaded jams when we had to get out of it. And uh, so that, I, you know, looking back, I was like, geez, you know, that's where I know that, that damn song from. We're always, hum- we're always humming it with the bases loaded, nobody out. I mean, that's amazing. I, when, when I was watching it, my wife was like, wait, what is this from? 
And I was like, I don't know, it's familiar. And then she finally realized that this year at her, she's a teacher at her school's Christmas concert, the fifth grade chorus sang Swinging on a Star at the Christmas concert. She was like, oh, I know this. I mean, there are a few songs throughout the history of the Oscars that go on to be Billboard number ones. Uh, I mean, the most notable one that we would probably know would be My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. But I don't know if any of them were the song of the year. Right, I mean, that's that's on that's crazy. Nineteen forty four. I mean, I I had my you know we we had a, just a kind of a very small family gathering for Easter, and and my dad was talking about how one of the reasons the Beatles were so big is that when they came over here, there was just nothing else going on. Like there was no other music. <laughs> so I think it's you know I think it's easy for people to sing along with. Uh, I want to hold your hand when the only song they're clinging on to is Swinging on a Star about donkeys and pigs, you know? Right. You could be a pig. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So this was, you know, this was a big hit at the Oscars. It won seven awards, including a defunct award that's Best Original Story. So it it won screenplay and it won Best Original Story. Which I think, I like that. I I like Best Original Story. I think that's a cool... Yeah, I... I agree, and it only lasted about 20 years or so. Uh, It it went defunct in 1956. Okay. So there's only one other Best Picture winner to win that award, and that is Greatest Show on Earth, which, oddly enough, was one of the the movies on that short list that we were looking at to do for this episode. Right, yeah. And doubly oddly enough is written by Frank Cabot, who won screenplay for Going My Way. So those are his two Oscars. Both those movies took home that now defunct award. I guess maybe it's just was a little like not so tangible. Screenplay is like who wrote the screenplay, but like story right. is kind of like a greater idea. Like yeah, and it's you know what's what's an original story? Everything comes from this, and culture is what it is now. Somebody tells a story that somewhat resembles something else. There's just going to be three days and. 30 podcasts complaining right. about it on Twitter. Yeah, is it so an original story? Is it not? But. Right. Like, oh no, something like this happened in 1940s Northern Ohio. It's not original. <laughs> they stole it. <laughs> so I think they just kind of are just comfortable now with going original screenplay and adapted right. screenplay. So the story here is, like you said, this is a very this is a very uplifting, positive movie. Now, I don't think that it's without themes. It's not without a little punch. I, I do... One of the things that I got out of this viewing, I got a, a lot more than I, I got out the first time, to be honest with you. Like, the first oh, time okay. I kind of viewed it as a, a feel-good flick and, you know, just a, just a nice guy doing nice things for a nice neighborhood. I saw a lot more themes here the second time through, and, and I thought there was a lot more under the surface of it. So I'm excited to talk about some of that, uh, and some of it pertains to to the, the church itself and the rebuilding yeah. of the church and what that kind of means in 2020 because the Catholic Church in 1944 and the Catholic Church in 2020 are very different states of I mean, affairs. Yeah, I mean, if you wrote if you wrote a 2020 movie where a priest shows up to someone's house because he thinks they're living in sin, it would just burn down the world. Yeah, it, it would. And I'm not even talking um, specifically about priests and how priests are perceived because that i mean that's obviously well versed well that's not a discussion for this (laughs) exactly but i'm just talking about the attendance at church or how or you know yeah just the importance of church the fact that people had trouble with rent people had trouble with hey my puppy had my dog had puppies i can't handle it i have you know i can't pay my rent my priest is the 
you know, it's just the, played a different role in life that doesn't exist anymore. Yes, yeah, St. Dominic's Church here in this movie is very much the center of the community. Right. And it is. The, it, the, the cop brings the, <laughs> the, the craziest runaway. Yeah, yeah, there. he brings the like, kid, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he brings the he brings the turkey thieves there, and he brings the the runaway uh, the runaway girl there too, and yeah, and and I mean, churches today are not the center of our communities, you know, and I think they struggle to they struggle for yep. attendance these days. So it's 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 interesting if you compare the then and now here with that. But St. Dominic's Church is where we open with this movie. We get a nice little opening shot of the church, and uh, we go in and meet. Father Fitzgibbons, played by Barry Fitzgerald, and he is meeting with the Haynes family, the father and son combo, the Ted and Ted, junior and senior, junior and senior, and we got money problems here at St. Dominic. Well, that's at least one consistent thing, you know, (laughs) churches always have to have mortgages, apparently. I don't know, and I looked, and churches were non-exempt at that time, so they weren't paying taxes. I don't, you know, if you can't make money when everybody still believes and shows up, how the hell are you going to make money? Yeah, crazy. Crazy. So we meet our our father, Fitzgibbon, and he's kind of... It, it's ornery. interesting. It's Yes, he's an ornery <laughs> character, but it's interesting. We had the debate when we did our Rebecca podcast, and that's, that's since aired, and uh, I thought that that whole discussion went pretty well. Uh, in general, that the the Rebecca podcast, wouldn't you say? Oh uh, yeah, I think that I I that was a blast to do, and I mean, listening to it through, I think it was really good. Yeah, we've gotten good feedback and everything. It's 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 been live for a few weeks now, and one of the things that we discussed in the beginning of that episode was pertaining to Rain Man, the lead actor, the supporting actor, who's who, who's what. We did a little poll on Twitter. It seemed like most people agreed with the way that the Oscars and the Academy went with it. But now it's interesting to do this movie now because we have a character and an actor who I guess they couldn't decide. So they just (laughs) just nominated him for both. Obviously that they've changed the rules since then that that cannot happen anymore. Right. This story kind of begins and ends here with father Fitzgibbons, but it's certainly uh, it's interesting because he's he's the bookend, but getting from those two points is all Father O'Malley. Yeah, and, and and I don't think anybody could possibly watch this movie and not leave with thinking the main driving force of this movie was Ben Crosby. But at the other, also though, looking at I mean, looking at character development and growth, I mean, Fitzgibbons from scene one to the last scene, I mean, he goes through a huge kind of change and growth yeah, where he is Big Crosby is the guy. He's the yes, he's Fitzgibbons is the story. Crosby, he's reacting to the Big Crosby of, is the catalyst that right. that 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 changes. But these are this is a dual lead situation, let's be honest here. And and Fitz I agree. Fitzgerald won the Oscar. It's if the, don't don't get too confused with this here here people. So the, the actor's name is Fitzgerald, the character's name is Fitzgibbons. Fitzgibbons. So we're gonna we're gonna botch this a yeah. few times. It's, I'm it's, I'm sure by hour one, head. it's just gonna be fits across the board. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just probably leave it at that. But he wins the supporting actor Oscar, and I don't think that if this movie comes out as is, it, under today's structural rules, that that he could possibly qualify as a supporting actor. I think I think it would end up just because of he couldn't do both, and they wouldn't put both in the. 
lead. They wouldn't put Bolt in the lead, but I think it would be a hard press to say he's a supporting actor. Yeah, I think it's a dual lead, and if they're both going to get nominated, they're both going to get nominated. I mean, it's happened before. We've had uh, the, That's uh, true. Thelma and Louise were both nominated for uh, for Best Actress, Best Lead Actress. Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon and Thelma and Louise. But as you said, Fitzgibbon's character is the arc of this story and his growth as a person and, and his growth really in his in his faith, in his profession. In, Emotionally. Yeah. He he's the one who kind of hits all the the story peaks, but it's all kind of in reaction to Father O'Malley or what Father O'Malley's doing, and then he kind of strengthens up on his own at the end. Yeah, and one of the things that I liked the most about this is is his character in the beginning spends so much time thinking about what he has done and what he has built and his 45 years, his 45 years, that he loses touch with what he's doing today and what he's doing for tomorrow. And he learns through being what that means, what, what it means to be a person in his position and, and what it means to, to grow not just with yourself, but within a community. So it's, I mean, he, like you said, he's the growth. He's the arc. Yeah. So the Haynes's junior and senior are, are squeezing old Fitz, Fitzy for money here. The son is uh, is saying, "Dad, I mean, you really, uh, what are you really gonna, you gonna foreclose? You're gonna, the church? You're gonna first time in, in New York City history, a church is gonna be foreclosed on, is what the son says. Yep. And then uh, right out of the gates, we have a highlight of the movie. Of, oh, of the dad saying, and do you have the exact quote? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you if don't, never take, never take a mortgage on a church because you're going to be a heel. The people are going to think you're the heel, but dad, aren't you a heel? Yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> so we, we, senior loves being the heel. We've spent so much time in these seven episodes so far discussing who's the heel, who's not the heel, why to love him for being a heel, and here we have in the first. Two minutes of the movie, a guy just proclaiming, I'm the heel, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the heel. He wants to even write a sermon. He wants to write the sermon for him, for Fitzgibbon. That's right, I mean, begging for money. Right, he is just, you know, he is the heel to the the OG heel, and he's owning it. Father O'Malley enters stage left here, and you can see right out of the gate, you know, this is a guy you're supposed to like here. And and Bing Crosby really does kind of own this character. And listen, we're essentially dealing with a perfect character here in the sense of he's not presented with any flaws whatsoever. He's right. just as squeaky clean as squeaky clean comes. And that's not necessarily the easiest role to play. No, that's really hard. Listen, it's it's easy to be a heel. It's, yeah, right. it's really hard to be perfect. Yeah. If you're if you have to be perfect, you can't slide. If you're a heel, you're allowed to be nice about certain things. You're allowed to be a super dick about other things. There's there's kind of wiggle room when you're when you're perfect. I mean, even when he like right off the bat, it's all the women who are mostly nice, except for Miss Quip, who's out of her mind. Right. But Ms. then Quip. there's the whole bit. You know, he he steps in with the baseball. The baseball goes through. The guy loses his mind oh, and that's is just great, going. Yeah. And he even says, he's like, listen, I'm patient. I'm apologetic. I'll take care of it. 
there's really nothing more I can do. It's like they looked up conflict resolution 101 yeah. and then just wrote that wrote it out for them. And then they made that guy be an atheist. And then, I mean, there was a couple of things I laughed at that. Oh, God. Well, this, he, when he said, you even throw like an atheist. Just a classic line. Just a classic line. I mean, that I I stood up and just laughed and clapped at that yeah, one. It got me. And now, as someone, you know, I, I don't believe in anything. And I was a little offended. I, I could throw. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, but what a but what a line though. Wow, you even throw like an atheist. That's right, just, just that's it, just genius writing though. Right. Um, and and he, and his delivery of it, like it wasn't this heavy handed, like judgmental thing. No, he was he was trying to get him a smile. Yeah, he was trying to get him a smile. Right. It, didn't work. Let's, it was a tension breaker because this guy's just just being a jerk and just holding on to something stupid and he's just just make the guy laugh. Let's all move on with our lives and you know, it's it's well done. I mean, the opening, I think, was I thought I honestly thought from the time we kind of see O'Malley till the time he got drenched with the water, there was a couple times I left. Well, hard. okay, now see, this is this is also too. Is we're, we're we're zipping right along here. The water when he gets drenched with the water, this is where you now know that this is now going to be this one hundred percent. Nothing's going to get to this guy character where he, he's just going to be squeaky clean. And yep. not a scratch on him, and you could douse him with water while he's bending over to pick up a baseball that someone just chucked under a truck, and he's not going to lose his temper, he's not going to lose his smile, he's not going to lose his swagger, and uh, that that really is the the ultimate defining moment of him right there, and they let you know, and and you know we go back to having to play that role is it's super super easy to be bubblegum cheese with that role, and oh yeah, I just don't know how easy it is to cast someone in that and they picked the perfect person i mean right i mean that's that's being crossed like you know it's almost like what you think of bring crosby almost because you have to be somebody there has to be like a relatability and charm to it or else it's just fake and yeah and, and i think that when you know you're watching a movie and you know that you're going to have a character here who is going to be flawless and everybody's supposed to like him and everyone's supposed to be influenced by him it's real easy as an audience member for you to say, all right, well, I'm not going to like this guy. Hattie, what do you think about that? And that's yeah. where I go naturally. Yeah. That's, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't like this guy. But yeah. then how do you not laugh? Then you're laughing with, with him because he's hysterical. He's too. Just, it's like, damn he's it. <laughs> super likable. He's just a right. likable guy. And now it, let me ask you this. Who could you conceive of? Now, I, I think and I guess we'll probably talk about this at the end, but I don't know if a movie like this could possibly have success in the box offices today but who would you cast if if Oof. this and I'm, I'm not saying we're doing a going my way remake but okay. i'm saying is if if you're going to try to cast that flawless nothing shakes me nothing breaks me character who who are you what actor are you going to that could possibly do this no shades of gray all thumbs up not a scratch on him type of guy that's interesting because that's really tough because you almost have to have a relationship with the person outside of it. Who who do you have? Let me think well, about this. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I kind of came up with this on the cuff too, so I'm not necessarily okay. ready to, to throw a name out either. But I, I will say one of the reasons that I think it worked for Crosby was is that he wasn't just an actor. Is that right. he had – I mean this is a guy who has three stars on the walk of – the Hollywood Walk of Fame in, in radio, television, and, and movies. So – you this was to... him. He was the guy out there with the troops. He was the guy doing all these things. So I think it's hard to, like, who's that guy now without no shades of gray? Who doesn't? Because I yeah, think it's almost... maybe. I... How about the Rock? 
I mean, I love The Rock, but is there? There's no shades of gray with him. Well, I it's, with, no, of course, of course, there is shades of gray with him. But right. I think he could play a character without shades of gray. Like for instance, I think like, he could play that inflappability. Yeah, that is I there think where that he's one just, of the reasons why it works for Crosby is because somehow Crosby manages amongst all this to kind of be not, and I don't want to say he's like way overly cool, but he manages to be pretty cool. You know, he's he's. He's, Which is impressive because there was times he should not have been. Right, right. Like he's hanging out with a sixty-year-old priest, and it's like, ah, this guy's all right. Yeah, yeah. So, I, it, so the Rock just comes to my mind as maybe a guy who can just be real super charming, and and you know he can be cheesy, but like people will still like him, and and you know he'll he'll still get people to think that he'll get he'll get you to buy it. Right, and he has, and again, there has to be a relatability with it where. You know, the super charismatic person is still someone that you could meet in the world. Yeah. I think a younger Tom Hanks is probably another guy. Yeah, that that's where I was actually going to say. I think that, like, you put that in, I, I think he'd be someone who gets there. Especially just that very, that calmness, but also very funny and could disarm you, no matter how mad you are. Yeah. A movie like that probably could have or would have worked in the 90s when, when Hanks was able to do that. But... Anyway, so you brought up old Mrs. Quimp, who is oh kind of our... Oh, my God. <laughs> and there's even... There's, like, I think that maybe the fourth or fifth time that she's brought up in this movie, like, even, like, Father Fitz goes, ah, jeez, you know, just, like, walks away, and he's like, <laughs> I, I can't see this she's just anymore. the worst. Yeah, and, I, and I'm pretty sure... So we, we mentioned this in our, our pilot episode with The Departed, as Going My Way is referenced in The Departed. Uh, Alec Baldwin says uh, when he's going through Jack Nicholson's cast of characters, he goes... Oh, and his mother is is a neighborhood lady straight out of going my way. I have to think he was probably talking about Mrs. Quimp there with that. Got him. He's not talking about the nice lady who gave him the directions up the block, you know, one block up to the yeah, left. Yeah, no, I think he was it going was with... Mrs. Quimp who was showing up. Hey, this person's living in sin. Hey, I can't pay my yeah. rent. Can you take care of this guy? Neighborhood, hey. neighborhood busybody. The old right, neighborhood busybody. Right, just nosing everything. Yeah, so uh, I, I I think I, I I honed in on that there this time. Yeah, I think that's I think that's perfect. I, yeah. That's who it is. <laughs> right, we see the old school stick ball, which is which is cool. Um, I love it. I, I actually I really like you know the the thing I like about old movies like old Manhattan is just really cool to see. Awesome, awesome, and uh, it gives you good vibes. And I mean, mostly I know that from just stories from my parents and uncles and uh, grandparents of just talking about playing stickball on the streets and talking about growing up around old Brooklyn, old Queens and, and that area there. So that's always, always good vibes really to cool. see that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, re- and it's just really cool to see. Yeah. And as an, as an Irish Catholic myself, like I, I kind of got some old school vibes that were, that were close to home with this, which is, which is nice. And I, you know, st- stickball is one that like, we never really could make work in the suburbs you know, yeah, like, that is uh, not a grass it's like, game. Yeah, I, we got some space, and I just let's use a real batting ball here. This stick ball is, a, you know, the te- the tennis ball and the stick ball bat, and it's just it, it works better on a on a, a linear street, I think. And it just looks like it fits better. It looks silly with grass. Yeah, it looks perfect, it looks perfect the with the milk truck across the street <laughs> and the atheist man in his house. Yeah, it just couldn't keep going. It just couldn't keep going into the. Into the later decades, but my, that's my neighbor, fun. my neighbor growing up was an old Italian guy from you know city, grew up in the city in the Bronx, and then Queens, and then he moved out, and so he he would always make me play with him. So that's, but it was still we'd always end up going to the park and just playing baseball. Yeah, give me that, give me that big barrel. I can 
sink my teeth into here. Right, and he played baseball with during World War II. He played baseball in the army, so he like traveled around different. Bases. Oh, nice. Yeah, so he loved baseball, but his you know growing up it was stickball, so that's what he wanted us to do. And but we'd always yeah. get right back to baseball pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, hey, swinging with that skinny bat there is going to make you better than swinging with a big barrel bat. But nonetheless, I, I you know I love all these baseball references. This movie was. And then God, you know, this movie was rolled up there. That's right. That's like the, one of the first ones we did was Cuckoo's Nest. I did that with you, and there was baseball references all over that movie too. So always a lot of baseball references. I mean, really, the first seven movies, baseball has a couple couple hits in throughout. Which yeah, there's. Cool. I think everyone's. It's most of them have something in there. I, I don't think there was much baseball going on in Rebecca, but or, right now uh, Rebecca was. You know, it's in it's in England. Yeah, but, Shakespeare you know. love and Rebecca. We're not playing a whole ton of baseball, but you know, right. what, what can you do? What can you do? We plenty of, plenty of Batman the, references, though. The amount of time I spent trying to find Batman connections here. Well, I existed. have something for you later. It's a stretch. Um, I'm very excited. I'm, I like stretches. It's a stretch. Listen, I'll take a stretch any day. Okay, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But anyway, so so Father O'Malley has to fill in in right field for this poor kid where the ball never gets hit to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he skips out. He he tangles with the old atheist. He gets dunked by the truck, and then he finally goes in and meets. Father Fitz in his his St. Louis Browns sweatpants and sweatshirt. And Mrs. Quip already told on him for playing baseball. Like, this guy's already trying to ingratiate himself into the neighborhood. A kid hits a ball, and he's getting in trouble. Yep, Mrs. she's, Quip she's is ready the, to Jesus. just throw him under Ugh. the damn bus. Ah, oh, man. One trees for 45 years might be too long. Miss Quip's too comfortable. She, doesn't, she needs to change a bit. Yeah, and so... This is a, this is a culture shock here for old Father Fitz. He's taking a look at Father O'Malley here in the sweatpants. No, he goes, no this suit, is, the sweatpants sitting on his desk. Is this how they dress you out in St. Louis? Now, we with these two guys finally meeting here, uh, we kind of had a couple of uh, modern day cartoons that we thought that they uh, oh, that they, yeah. you want to you want to go with O'Malley, and I'll take uh, old Father Fitz. Yeah, I mean, I think I texted you pretty quick into watching this. Because I, I had a t- I had a pause because those who watch The Simpsons, um, he's the parson from The Simpsons. He's one one or two episodes as uh, Reverend Lovejoy's boss, the parson. I mean, even when he pulls up, he pulls up with that same hat with a go- with golf clubs in the back to let you know he's a relaxed guy. He's very has that calm, patient. And then, uh, so I tried to see if that was actually legit. Um, I couldn't find that it was based off Father O'Malley, but I did find on a couple things that it was based off Bing Crosby. So. You know, I think we nailed that one. Yeah, yeah. I think then on the Simpsons wiki it had it had in there. And uh, now going to Father Fitz's, I just kind of looked into this too and, and just said, boy, that reminds me. And I was thinking about it. Now, in it, for those Family Guy fans, in the earlier seasons, Peter's father, Francis Griffin, is an old crotchety Irish guy who talks like the same way, the same way old Father Fitz talks. Looks like him too. He's got the scrunched up face and the glasses. So, I mean, just the same hair. I, uh, that was a great call. That was a great call by you because once you said it, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it's got to be it. And, and I know right Seth, there, yeah. yeah, and Seth MacFarlane's big into old school musicals and all that. So I have well, to think that's that the that other things. Yeah, that has There's to no be way Seth MacFarlane wasn't thinking this in some way. Just any, you know, super religious, just everything. So yeah, it's like, that, all right, that yeah, seems this, this to be is definitely it. Yeah, so they meet for the first time here. Father Fitz is a little stunned by the whole fact he's meeting in, in sweatpants. You see our St. Louis Browns gear. Quip calls in, rats him out about the baseball windows and everything. You know what we, we never got? 
we never got why he became a priest. Because, yeah, it's the same thing. And he asked the same question over to O'Dowd when we meet yep. Father O'Dowd. And this, this to me is a very important line, though. And you brought it up. He goes, how did you get to be a priest? Or how did you become a priest? Or what made you become a priest? This kind of it, it really, to me, speaks a lot about what Father Fitz thinks a priest's role is and what he thinks that his role as a priest is. And how he views himself as a priest, because now he's looking at himself as these two guys who are polar opposites, but doing the same thing. And it's really, and he's just so interested, because I think he asked him three or four times mm-hmm. during that first conversation. And then he asked him again when they had their first dinner with the stolen turkeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just what we, that becomes, that becomes a question that is ultimately asked of Father, of father Fitz. Is and I think that's how where you the become term a priest, is. and what makes right. you a priest today? And it's, boy, it's it's so funny as we're talking about a movie in 1944, and the word priest is just holds such different connotations than what it holds today, unfortunately. But in the context of this movie, the priest was a member of the community and an important person that helped grow the community, not just one that stood on the laurels of what was already built. And that's kind of right. what and fits because this is at. such a happy movie i'm not going to go dark on this and kind of what that led to but there was there was they were held at a higher esteem so so when fitz gibbons kind of meets them these younger very different non not even you know in 1944 especially very non-traditional he's very curious about kind of the 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 why and the how and it's there's there's a protectiveness to it yeah and it's it's funny if you fast forward to today is you know the catholic church needs they need Father O'Malley's. They need Father O'Dowd's. They need young men becoming priests. And it's just not happening. And I think they're going to have to have their Father Fitz moment where maybe they're make, changing the rules about things. And maybe they're trying to evolve to, to keep the church going uh, so it doesn't uh, burn down like it burned down later on in this movie. But we have the, it's just a, a kind of an interesting encounter there. And, and then his buddy, who we, we referenced already here, uh, Father O'Dowd calls in, and they get a little uh, singing their alma mater song over the over the phone, <laughs> and they're doing it in harmonies. And this just reminded me of you're an, are you an office guy? Oh yeah. Oh, this oh, yeah, just reminded me of when when Andy uh, puts all the the speaker phones in the office on to, and to gets get his Angela. old yeah he gets yeah. his old acapella group to call in, and they're all singing in different harmony. So I think it's an ABBA song they're singing or something like that. Yeah, if you change your <laughs> <laughs> take, take, a chance on me. <laughs> take a chance on right. me. Take a chance on me. And it just they're just one up in each other with the harmonies. What'd she say? What'd she say? Um <laughs> yeah, what, I, what, I'm gonna call and, you that. And then they go into golf in that scene, and then Father Fitzgibbons had a killer line. Uh, he, which even O'Malley's like, oh, I'm gonna steal that. Yeah. He says a golf course is nothing but a pool room moved outdoors. Love it. Love it. Love which it. got so me. Good. I was like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, like we're as we're going through this, like I thought that the first hour of this movie was like pretty, like it was pretty packed up, pretty good. It was like very entertaining. It had me, it had me like laughing. It had me engaged. Uh, it was really pretty solid. First yeah, sixty I agree. minutes. It really started off. It really started off really strong. Where um, it moved well, mm-hmm. and and they really did a good job of letting you know Fitzgibbons and O'Malley let their early on, per, especially Fitzgibbons' early on personality show. So you got to know kind of who they were. I love the whole concept that Father O'Malley, Bing Crosby, is in charge, 
And yes. this old priest doesn't know it. The bishop put him in charge. He doesn't know it. And and Bing Crosby just plays it quiet and just, hey, you know what? I'm not even going to tell him. You know, I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to work. I'm going to work my work the way I can. Let him go about doing his business. It's not – he takes the ego out of it completely. And right. He makes it about the greater good instead of, oh, I'm in charge. There, there's no – you said it, ego. We get, we get – now, and this is – there's a, there's a great little ploy here in this next scene. You brought, it, you brought up the golf and the – I love the whole golf element of this whole movie. It's every, every time golf's involved, it's really just excellent. But there's a real litmus paper put into this scene here. That, that, that they're using as like a ploy to let you know that this is not the heel. Okay, so right. they, they, while he's being a crotchety old man, you're not supposed to dislike him. And what was that litmus test in there? It was the basket of puppies. Yes, the, it, it was like the most lovable things right. on earth. <laughs> now we'll know if he's a heel if he goes, get these damn puppies out of here. What do they think we are? A kennel? Nope. <laughs> no, he goes, oh, puppies. So right. uh, <laughs> He starts petting them. He's like, oh, no, they're too early to be away from their mother. No, He's we're... worried about them. And then the mother's there. Don't worry. The mother's here, too. Oh, great. He's like, yeah, but you watch my puppies. He's like, ah, sure. So I'm like, all right, all right. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. We're not, we're not going to hate this guy too much here. He's, you're just, that, that's when you realize he's just a burned out guy from trying to take care of uh, – take care of the whole church by himself that he's not a bad dude yeah they show you his heart there with that you show so pu- puppies can always can always neutralize even the biggest grouch right and that and but if if someone is negative to the puppies you know that they're a heel yeah it's it's an easy way <laughs> and, of letting you know which way they're going and it's probably like, you know, and probably a sociopath at that too Right, but it's you know it's like if if you see someone smoking a cigarette in a movie, you know that they're the rebel. You know, it's it's an easy kind of ploy plot device. And- yeah, and, and now at this at this point, now O'Malley is now going to kind of kind of visit around, and in many in many ways here, O'Malley is kind of like a he's almost almost kind of less of like a person and more of like a little bit of a guardian angel or like a like a ghost of Christmas past here. You know, he kind of like hops from from person to person in town and has a conversation with them, sizes them up, gets what they're gets what they're doing and, and brings them back down to earth. He, this is where he meets the Haynes's father and son and kind of sizes them up. I think the kind of the second biggest transformation through the movie is Haynes Jr. Because the first thing he tells Father O'Malley is like, oh, we're in an evil business. And they talk. Next thing you know, I mean, you know. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm following in, following in right. my dad's footsteps, following in my dad's but, footsteps, kind of almost nervously saying it. Right, where and you get the feeling, and I mean, they kind of let you know that if it wasn't for O'Malley, he would have almost become the heel that his father is. But instead, you know, we'll get there, but he becomes a very different person. Yeah, and we see O'Malley uh, watching the kids rob the turkeys, and again, <laughs> he again doesn't hop in and start start you know diving into the feathers and trying to grab someone, but he just sits back, lets it happen, watches, waits to make his move. We're gonna meet old Tony Tony and Herman. Tony Scampone. Herman. And Herman played by Alfalfa. Yes, Herman is played by Alfalfa or, or, uh, from Our Gang, the Little Rascals. He's uh, grown up a bit and he's got his hair in order. It's no longer sticking up. I guess the kids kind of encounter the old man Fitz, Father Fitz. And well, you steal really... a turkey, you run, you know, your, your first move is to run to the church. Yeah, right, right. And then he kind of catches him with, hey, go, Fada. Take the, take, <laughs> take the turkey. Fada. Oh, Fada. And, and wins... Possibly wins an award for one of the most annoying accents in any movie I've seen recently. It has to be a speech impediment. Oh I my mean, even, goodness! Huh, Herman, 
Hoyman. Like, just say an R. Hoyman. Hoy the Toiki. Toiki. We got the Toiki. Fada. Fada, I got the Toiki. Oh, my lord. And you this know? is who you put in charge of your choir. Oh, my goodness. And this, I think that this is, like, probably how people from Boston feel when they bring in the guy that does, like, the real over-the-top and <laughs> obnoxious. But, like, I don't, this is so over-the-top that it's like, I, I don't know any, I don't know anyone from Nor New York who speaks that way. Like That's why I think, I think it's a speech impediment with and, a bad accent. And it's like none of his buddies are speaking that way either. So what is going on? No. I guess, yeah. I, it's got to be speech impediment. Tony Scapoli's got a little speech impediment. Tony Scapone. Listen, he's too busy running the gang. He doesn't have enough money. He doesn't have enough time for dictation lessons. A tough character to look at, too. Just the whole thing. And Tony and Herman wearing the matching shirts was just... Real, real, really driving it home here. Oh, boy. But then I think the dinner scene with the turkey for dinner, I think that is where... We see a lot of um, – I thought that was actually a really good scene because I thought it was cool how different O'Malley and Fitzgibbons kind of looks at things because O'Malley uh, – uh, Fitzgibbons, I'm sorry. He was – he knew they stole the turkey. He was just willing to overlook it because they go to church. So if they go to church, they're ultimately good. Where O'Malley's more worried about kind of the bigger picture and what is else is going on besides just showing up to church. I love that scene too. The whole – just the whole – Okay, yeah, well, the, the policemen don't think he's so nice. Ah, what do they know? They haven't been to church in 10 years. But, right, uh, exactly. Well, uh, okay, all right. Well, you know, he's good. taking it for stealing. Stealing what? Mm -hmm. Turkeys. <laughs> and turkeys. Just, the, just the delivery is so good. The the poor, oh, it's great. So it's good. great delivery. Did, did, he, did, he get the, did he get the turkeys back? Did the poor man get all his poultry did back? The... All of them. All of them except for one. Yeah, you know, <laughs> except I had the big, the big leg. <laughs> the giant leg that right, he was eating. Like, oh, the, the cop shows up with Tony and Hoyman. And what does O'Malley do? He doesn't say, he doesn't go after him. I'm not going to. He says, oh, I'm going to take you guys to a baseball game. The Browns are in. They're playing the Yankees. Mm -hmm. I, I know I know the Browns, so they'll give us as many passes as you want. So bring your entire gang. Yeah, yeah, which work. is good. He's the, O'Malley is like the poker player who just slow plays all day. You know, I just check. Check, mm -hmm. check. You know Matt Damon and Rounders. You know, dr dr yes. <laughs> and he, he doesn't raise. He doesn't. Pay. So he's just he waits and waits for his his moment to strike. And, and he tells us probably the third word he says is "I'm patient." Like he lets you know early on, and he is not lying. He's he's he, he's in it for the long haul. He has the patience of a saint, literally. Next, the kids are like, "All right, you know, this isn't so bad." You know, we get we get busted, we get to go to a baseball game. So they go ahead and do that, and then I believe we have our uh, our basement scene. Yeah, and the probably the, the would have filmed this differently in today. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that they would have the priest confront the kids in 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 an underground yeah. uh, close underground up. underground dark basement while he's wearing a baseball uniform. Yeah, to be more relatable to the kids doesn't There's necessarily different... age well, but we're gonna we're gonna, we're trying to just you know we're right. getting our heads this in the nineteen forties. Like guys, this is a happy movie, so right. I'm not gonna go dark. We're not it. going spotlight on you here, right? We're gonna, right. We're keeping no, it. We're keeping right. it we're in keeping the spirit of going my way, right? This is a, this we, is a family affair, right? So he says to the gang, "I want to make you the choir." And then we see. Well, let's hold up. Let's. I, I don't okay. want to just zip past that here because this, okay. this, this is one of the scenes that I kind of had. I had some issues here with this. All right. So, like, first of all, there's a there's a killer line from. Uh, as much as I I break uh, old Tony Tony Toughnuts's balls here. There's a great quote here. Father O'Malley comes into 
to talk. And, and Tony's kind of like saying, all right, you know, he's trying to rally the troops together to say, he's right, doing we, a baseball game. He can't be a big guy. Right, we have our, we may have an ally here. So right. then he comes in and, and, and Tony tough nuts here, as much as I, as I break his balls, it has a, a killer line here, which I want to, I, I want to use somehow in my future life. I just don't know how many people I'll be confronting in, in, in basements or cellars. Bing Crosby is wearing his St. Louis Browns jersey. And Tony goes, hey, that's a great outfit to wear in a cellar. And he goes, ah, you're ragging on my team. You know, like, so that's a real, real That's actually really moment. funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, you know, the joke's on Tony because the Browns do go to the World Series that year. But, <laughs> but uh, just, just such an easy If I ever, If I ever kind of meet someone, you know, they just appear in a cellar and they're wearing their favorite team's jersey who I, who I don't care for, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, you're appropriately dressed for the, for the cellar. Uh, One day it's going to work. You're going to have that in the back of your brain and it's going to land so bad you're going to get a huge pop. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Either that or I'll be the only one who knows what the hell's going on. But well, that, if I'm there, I'll, I'll react to it too, and then that's we'll just right. laugh. Yes. Some of the best jokes are the ones that only you laugh at, you know? There you go. Uh, well, okay, then, so, so here's where, here's And there's another a line here that popped me too because, you know, they were when, when he was – when Tony was gathering them all and he's like, all right, you know, let's see. He's like, ah, they're going to make us into altar boys or something. I don't want to do that. And then he kind of – it's like, all right, boys, gather in. You know, I'm going to lay it right on you here. Because I'm putting together a children's choir, and one of the kids goes, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> they all just say, rabble, 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 rabble. Like, I had, I paused at the uh-oh because I laughed so hard. Yeah, like, it was I had great. It was great that, that, like, they were all like, hmm, but, like, the one kid just went, ah. You know that, like, you know one kid just spoke at a turn there, and they just, like, left it in because like, it was great. But then the rest kind of took a turn here with me with this because, like, this their transition to boy from from like underground gang to boys choir happened a little too quickly. Like, I mean, what I mean, to, Termit Hoyman was the only one resistant. Got yeah, slapped in the face three they're times. They're all in. They're all in, and then Herman doesn't. And then Tony goes. You want me to get him? He's a great bass. It's like, all right, okay, all right. So this like, neighborhood tough guy knows what everyone's voice register is for this <laughs> setup. This choir. All of a sudden, he's an expert on on choirs here. Well, I got and a couple. Co- yeah, the- you know, you over there is a couple of sopranos, father, and then we got a bass, and we got a couple of D's over there. You want me to get him from the toiki? Fada, he's the best alto you ever did hear, Fada. Oh, Jesus Christ! All right, so that, but the, uh, then the the slapping though got me so bad. Oh it, man, it was just it was three it was three Stooges in all its glory. It right? was it was like three Stooges without any cuts. Like, right, it was just it was they, they were like slap him twenty times and then they just sped the film up five times to make it really like, and he just kept doing it. And it's just like, it's just like, stop. It's like, stop. And it's like, I, I feel like the director was like, I feel like the director was like, all right, yeah, we didn't quite get it right. Uh, we didn't quite get it right. Try it one more time. Try it one more time. All right, now we're going to use them all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Alfalfa tried big time in them and he wanted to be the leader of the gang. So he's yeah. like, yo, Tony, fuck him up. That's right. They're, they're, they're ribbing him. They're doing some kind of rib on Alfalfa there. <laughs> Oh, you think you're uh, too good for the rest of the boys because you were in our gang? You know, I don't think so. No like, little right, rascals playing flex. This scene's gonna be this scene's gonna be 15 seconds, and you're gonna get slapped 45 <laughs> times. I mean, and boy, he just takes it too. Huh? Just, right, and the next thing you know, he's in the bass section. I'll tell you what, I did not, I did not expect to tune into going my way and get a great like slapping session going on. You no, know? outside of it in the church courtyard. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why aren't they doing that on Raw these days? You know, they should be doing something along those lines for a, a little backstage comedy. 
I mean, I'll, I'll take it at this point on what's going on in Raw. <laughs> okay, so like it's the snap of a finger, so Father O'Malley's got his boys' choir. And then we get, I mean, their first song is, who knows three blind mice? They're like, yup. <laughs> <laughs> This is another one, too. Oh, Fadi, are you kidding me? Every, every rough and tumbling gangster down here knows three blind mice. What do you think this is? What do you think this Fada. is, a second-rate basement gang? We all know three blind mice. Fada, we don't have TVs. We just sing three blind mice, Fada. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, what, like, could they pick a cooler song that maybe anyone would know? Like, what, it's three blind mice? Like, they is picked that the worst song. That's like, good on the street? Yeah, right, like, geez. Give us something. Give oh us some sort goodness. of... And then, and, and then that turns into, I have a patience for a lot of things, but not three blind mice. Like, he's so offended by anthropomorphized mice. That's the last straw. Like, that's... Like, right. like, like old Father Fitz will put up with anything, any of this, this neo-priest thinking that's coming out of... O'Malley, but the second that he hears three blind mice, that's it. It's done. Shut it down. I'm going to the bishop, baby. Yeah, going to the fucking bishop. This is why I'm going to the bishop. It's like, come on, you can't be doing this. You can't be doing this. <laughs> oh, boy. And then, yeah, he's, Mrs. Oh, Mrs. Carmody is trying to get him to just please don't go. Just stay. Please don't go. No, nope, I'm going to see the bishop. I'm going to see the bishop. We're not getting any. We're not getting any three blind mice in my church. Mrs. Carmody is kind of like. It's kind of just like a nice lady, you know. Just does her job. She just busts her, her ass. Make sure that make sure that everything's running smooth. Hell she's the cook. type of person. Yeah, if she's she she's she could take a stolen turkey at noon and have dinner on the table by six. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Just a hell of a hand, you know. It's a hell right, of a hand. Right, like if she if she left the church, the church would go to hell. That's, that's what I, you know, that's what we know. And, and I, when I, Mrs. Carmody, the only other Mrs. Carmody I know, as you know, I'm a big Stephen King guy. Right. Is a very different character, and she's the, she's the antagonist, the heel in The Mist. Have you ever seen The Mist? Yes. So she's the, um, the gloom and doom lady who's, oh, we're being punished for our sins. The world is ending. Oh, that's Mrs. Carmody? Her too? name, yeah, her name, her character's name in that is Mrs. Carmody. Oh shit! Yeah, okay, so that's interesting. One of one of Frank Darabont, director of Shawshank Redemption's few movies. He's only has only has four, but The Mist, Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, and The Majestic. I mean, if you have four movies, that's I mean, it's a solid four. Yeah, seriously. So old Father Fitz, as soon as he leaves to go see the bishop, he's pretty much back. We do get a little, you know, a little performance of Silent Night in between. Yeah, which they go from ba ba to Silent Night. Like, these kids are robbing, causing chaos in the streets of Manhattan. And now they're singing Christmas songs in... Yeah, Silent Nights of Perfect golf Harmony. Season. Yeah, golf season in Perfect Harmony. They're, he's the greatest music teacher in the history of the world, I think, is what we have to determine. Another kind of like... This is this is nitpicky here, but I mean, I, I have to, though, because... And, and listen, I love Bing Crosby. I love his voice. I love I love it all, but... You know, I just think, can't you have him actually sing? Does he have to lip sync over, like, right, the Christmas soundtrack? Uh, you know, we... Yeah, it's tough. It was really tough. Ineffective. Ineffective. Yeah. You know, he's, he's blatantly lip syncing over, you know, over a, a song that we hear every Christmas, you know, and we see we hear him sing every Christmas. Right, that's his voice. Like, 
everybody has a relationship with him based off Christmas. But the other thing is, like, they couldn't come up with a better song. The movie didn't come out around Christmas. The movie came out in May. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right, like, this This is not a Christmas movie. They're playing golf the day before. The kids are running around in T-shirts. Silent Night doesn't fit. And I'm, listen, I'm all for, you want to sing in a movie? I'm in. You want to dance in a movie? I'm in. Yeah, you're a musical but, guy. But, You'll, you, you appreciate musicals. Yeah, I like them. Listen, good, bad, or indifferent. Like, there's some really bad movies where I'm like, oh, I really enjoy this, and I'm going to sit and watch it. <laughs> and that's all right. We don't need to hear Silent Night in May. Like, if yeah, I went to the right. movie theaters in May, and right, I put my balls off. It's, ba- <laughs> it's baseball season here. What are we singing Silent Night for? Okay, right. I, we went just... to a baseball game last Saturday. Why? See? Yeah. It's like, take me out to the ball game. And then we're lip syncing it too. So like, it's just, and like, I'm okay with, I'm okay with like, if you want to play like a track of the kids playing and then him, he sings over that, but let's just, just get a little more authentic. Now this is, that was the music scene that I, I didn't love. Here's one that I really did love. And it actually was one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where he, we meet uh, our, our old runaway, Carol James. The first, the, in a movie with Bing Crosby, the first song goes to Carol James. Yes, yeah, and that is, and what did you say, it was 33 minutes? 33 minutes. Okay, so we, we haven't had a song yet, and, well, other than, other than maybe our, our, uh, our St. Louis fighting song over the phone, Andy Bernard style, but not a true, uh, <laughs> yeah, not a true. N- Nard Dog doesn't count as soundtrack at that point. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we get um, we get Carol James, and, and she's got a song that she wants to show him. Oh, you probably won't know. He has to try me out, and it's the uh, the day after forever. And we get this glitz and glam version of her waving her hands around, and he really digs this in. And I really like the scene a lot. And here's here's why I this scene stuck out for me. I thought his coaching of her through this song not only was it like a cool scene to watch, like. It was actually like really good advice right. and and like advice that I think pop stars from 1944 straight to 2020 should watch the scene and listen to the scene and understand what he's saying and why he sang it. And watching the progression of her first performance of The Day After Forever to his performance to her last performance of Day After Forever and why he's saying what he's saying and why it's effective. And I think that often, and, and listen, of course, a lot of pop musicians and, and, what, and listen, Bing Crosby was one of them. They don't write their own songs and they're, they're performing other people's songs. I think that way too often you get performances of people who are not connected with whatever the hell they're singing. And they're literally right. just saying words. And for him to say, listen, why don't you tell me the words that you're singing before you sing them? You know, right, which is really cool. You, you're, you're, you're supposed to be telling me a message, but all I get is you're waving your hands and you're, you're smiling and you're, you're throwing these words at me. Say them first and now sing them with meaning and sing them with purpose. And that's, you know, I, I love that. I love that. I thought that, that was... I mean, he starts with, hey, you have a really good voice, but you need to get some feeling into it and make, you know, going through the words. And I like that scene a lot because, one, because of everything you said I agree with, but the other part was I hated her at first. <laughs> like she ran away because her parents were parenting her yeah and he kind of like, he very calmly explains to her why a few years from now she'll understand how stupid she's being right and yeah and he does again his very patient very measured not condescending of, right just does it really good so i mean she goes from this like where i'm like i'm like i was i'm watching that scene and i'm just like all right get get this person off my let's move on to the next thing like i'm not interested in it yeah i'm not interested in her and then really what he does like you described 
so well then all of a sudden i'm like oh, uh, oh i hope she's all right how's she gonna do like it's like all yeah. of a sudden i gave a shit about her as much as she didn't like boundaries she responded so well to what he said it showed that there was something in her wanting to kind of progress forward yeah and to me like i, I just love that too because i think whether you're trying to come up with a radio single or you're cutting an album or you're just you're you're performing at a local bar you're performing Margaritaville at a local bar. You could sing Margaritaville like anyone sung it before, just spitting the words out, or you could make it, you could give it some life to it by actually saying the words and singing the words that are in there. And I, I just thought that was a really sharp, cotent scene. It just, it just really hit home. And it, and it, it, it was cool to me how well it translated to today and how universal it was. I like that in some of these old movies because I think that when people think about a movie in the 1940s they think that every part of it is out of touch and antiquated and just not gonna cut like with any so sharpness well, right yeah and i mean really it's it's what he did was he kind of simplified something very complicated to make it and i think that's what made it so relatable it's really just well said and simple like this is how to get better figure out how to do this like talk it through don't just say the sing the words like no understand what you're doing and you know it goes into anything like why do you do what you do Motivation matters, yeah. feeling yeah. matters. So it's it goes well beyond music. Like, why are you running away from home? Why are you doing these things? Are you just doing it on impulse because you think you want to? Or like, what's the purpose? And even with the, you know, the, the boys choir, like, all right, you're out there doing this, but you could do more. Like, why don't you figure out how to do more? There's a universality to it, which is interesting. And yeah, I think and, really and listen, hits hey, well. Absolutely. And if there's any, uh, if there's any cover artists out there and, and you're going to play Wonderwall or Freebird, my first step of advice is don't. And my second step of advice is if you're going to play Wonderwall, then play with a little bit of, play with a little bit of feeling in there. So, uh, all right. So old Fitz comes back or he, first he returns downtrodden for first meeting, series, the, yeah. meeting the old bishop. And he's not happy to hear that he's no longer in charge. And, but it's very interesting how they get there. He's like, oh, you know, what was your what was your conversation like? There was a lot left unsaid, and I like that they didn't just make it like, oh, he said that you're the boss, but you said that you wanted to let me pretend that I was still the boss. Yeah, there's no fight. There's no fight right. left in Father Mel here. He's, it's, he's hey, you you had the same conversation with him before I did, right? Yes, I did, Father. Okay. Yeah, he, he realizes you know, I'll he get, is. I'll be out of your way. Talk about ego, Father O'Malley. His first thing is like, all right, I'll get my stuff out of your room. And what does O'Malley say? He's like, no, 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 that's your room. That's fine. Like, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, he just sees he's just the old man being taken out to pasture as it was her before. What did you say, pasture? Oh, I'm walking past your church. Uh, <laughs> but, but, I mean, then that, first, well, I guess first Fitzgibbons does run away from home. Yeah. Then, well, then he. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. That's that's reaction is to, is to leave. Yeah. It's to leave. He doesn't want to yeah. stay there. When it and and he goes out in the rain and uh, they're tracking him down. They're waiting up for him. Cop well, tries to bring him enough. home. I'm walking. I'm walking home myself. You're not. And then he comes back in the rain. And and O'Malley and uh, Carmody are are still waiting up for him. And they got dinner ready for him. And they have to twist his arm to eat it. And it sounds like a really like good meal that got ready for him. Yeah, I mean, my God. I've, but then I think the next scene with the Irish whiskey that his mother sends him uh, from Ireland every year for Christmas. Just what a scene. Arguably from, my favorite scene of the movie, to be I th- honest. I think, that's the, I think that's the best scene in the movie. From the time the Irish whiskey comes out to the end of Tourelu, I think is the best scene in the movie. And and to me, you know, as you said in the, when the very onset of this of this recording here is that this is just a happy light movie and there's nothing to really to hate on with it 
it, and that is true. But there is some heart here. And, and, here, and this, this is where this is where the heart's beating the fastest. Yes, there there is some serious heart in the scene. It it's it is is real. It is it's not cheap. It's earned, and it's it's effective as hell. And and from the from the the bonding over the the Irish whiskey to the the music box to the portrait yeah. of the mother, just the the, the props Everything. and the scenery just, and the setup, and the, it was just really, really effective. And you just see what type of person Fitz, Fitzgibbons is when he says, like, oh, every, you know, I keep saying when I get a little bit ahead, I'll, you know, I'll go home to the old country to see my mother again. And what is, and O'Malley just so adeptly says, he goes, but every time you get a little bit ahead, somebody needs it more, right? God, like isn't that... that- isn't that life, though? <laughs> you know, it's right. like you, you always want to go and, and catch up with, with the people of your past and you want to do the things that you tell yourself you're going to do. And it's obviously easier for us with technology these days to do it. Right. But and we're, but this, you know, right. we have nothing but that to do right now. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, and it just shows so much about Fitzgibbons that like in this time, all he wants to do is go see his mother. It's 45 years where he's been attached to this church. But then every time he has the ability to do it. He just gives back to the community because that's what matters to him the most. Like that's what he's lives and dies for. Yeah, and we're not talking about uh, we're not talking about a forty five year old mom who lives on the other side of town. You know what is she ninety five? Yeah, I th- yeah I think I think, 90, 90, I think 90, 90, 90 to ninety five. Ninety five and living in Ireland. Yeah, so he's you know he's there's when he talks about it, you can hear the hesitation of his voice that he's probably resigned the fact that he'll never see her again. Right, and you even see it with, I mean, just, and it's just two guys over Irish whiskey, and this Irish whiskey that he has hidden because he only gets one bottle a year from his mother for Christmas, that now he then decides to share with O'Malley and how much that means to O'Malley, and then... Buy some time, buy some time during Lent, but it always seems to be done by Christmas. Yep, it's just really just well done, and then... And I want to say, too, is that this scene is where the actor really comes to life, Right. Too, because it, it, I, he's very one note up until this point, like and, and yeah, I didn't understand. I'll be honest. I saw before, before early on. I accidentally saw something that he won the best supporting. It was in for best actor, and up until this point, I thought it was really bad. I had choice. the same. I had the same kind of reaction with it, and and though I had seen the movie before, I'm, I'm kind of watching it again. So like, this guy's nominated for both categories, and it's just like, what is so special about this? And then from this point on. You he's kind of see I the mean, layers of what's right. going on here, and it's not just the character written on the page. the The way that he portrays it is pretty next level. It's pretty next level. Yeah, I mean, just there's death to everything he does now, and it starts here, and it's just so the whole scene. And then when he says, he and he asks him, he's like, "Do you know two Relu?" And then Bing Crosby just just nails it. Yeah, well, that's so well, good. He got. You got Bing to use him. I would say that, like, if this movie were to have an intermission, this is where it would be. Agreed. Me. And I even took my own little intermission. <laughs> I know I texted you that, but uh, <laughs> but this I is, figured this where it was. Yeah, and and to be even more frank, is that the movie kind of slows to a crawl a bit here for me? I don't yeah, know if it did the, for you as well. Yeah, it, it, I think it kind of gets. It was just so good, and then from here, you know, the next thing we kind of see him walking back. The boys going to the church. We meet Jenny. And, you know, the Carmen scene was cool, but it really slowed down. I thought there was so much kind of going on that it kind of... Yeah, I thought opening credits to to the Irish lullaby scene was like... That was like a really tight 
effective everything first half mattered. of a movie. Everything yeah, was everything important. mattered. Like, and maybe it's because they kind of gave it to you into a one after another after another, like no no pauses to it. Just we're gonna rattle right through the hits here. Maybe that's why they then had to slow it down and it made the presentation a little top heavy. Yeah, maybe. But like, I thought like, did we need the whole thing with Jenny and Carmen? Like, it was cool. I had no issue. But like, was it necessary? Like, I think they could have focused on a lot of other things and put more time into other things than to go that whole route. So our next scene here is he's he's going to the, the opera house. Um, yeah. Well, first now all the boys are wearing suits. And they're, they're all bringing their parents to church on Sunday when he puts them all on the bus. And he gives Tony, and he gives Tony the money for them all to get on the bus. And Tony says something in incomprehensible language, pretty much like, aren't you coming with us? And he says, no, nah, I'm going to walk. And then he ends up at the opera house. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yeah, he goes to the opera house and meets his, his old fling. And this is Genevieve, who's now a, a famous opera singer. And she doesn't understand why O'Malley stopped writing her. And then, but I didn't stop writing you. <laughs> yeah, and then he she comes in the other room, sees the old white collar on him, and uh, realizes that he's a priest now. We meet old Tommaso, uh, the other opera guy. I actually really like Tommaso. I enjoyed him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, like, just no substance, just a guy who was there and who really just had fun playing his role. Yep, and then we get our little... You know, in the old opera, and I got this was just my least favorite scene of the movie. It, listen, just, it was so uninteresting. It was, uh, you know what? it was, fu- it was fine alone, but there was no purpose for it in this movie. Because first we have Christmas music in May. Now we have opera, a Spanish and, opera. Listen, like I, I gotta say this: like I'm a lover of music. I'm a lover of music. I believe that we should all be open-minded to all kinds of music and appreciate everybody's right to listen to whatever they like and whatever they want to listen to. I don't like every kind of music. I don't listen to every kind of music. I have a level of respect for every kind of music, whether it's country or mumble rap or classical or whatever. Boy, opera is tough for me, man. I just have a hard time with it. I, 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 I respect the art of it. I respect right. anyone who's into it. I just don't think I could get through five minutes of an opera. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the whole not in English thing and no subtitles. Yeah, yeah. The story of Carmen's actually interesting. It's essentially one woman stabs another woman, like in the first act of it. Like, it's an interesting thing. It's just, do I want to sit there and watch it for a couple hours? Probably not. But like, I enjoyed that scene. I thought it was good. I thought, you know, but like, it didn't, it wasn't necessary. Yeah, I mean, listen. I if if you can get more out of opera than me, I respect that too. Like I just, it's just to me, I, it just doesn't register for me. It doesn't register for me, and I, I'm I'm sure I'm sounding ignorant with it, and sure that there's plenty of people out there who love opera who would go with me to a a Luke Bryan concert or an Eric Church concert and and not understand country music, and I'm okay with that sure. too. Or or wouldn't understand Slipknot, you know. <laughs> I think. That, <laughs> Listen, I, it, but you know, it, it is what it is. But you know, it just in this movie, it just didn't fit. There was no purpose to it. Yeah, like, and, and it was the scene was just it, it was just added time, and and I feel like that seven minutes that hung out over the two hours in this could have been chopped off. I, they they did need to present the opera house. They did need to show the stakes of the the boys coming in there in the end, and how that would be impressive to the record deal guys. I get that. It could have been done a little cleaner, I thought, maybe. It could have been done without the Carmen scene. We could have had all the backstage stuff. We could have met the conductor. We could have met all that. She could have went on stage. We could have seen a few seconds of it as he walked out the back. 
And yeah. that would have been fine. I love that you had the name of the opera ready and everything, Joy. That's why I love you. I, I come prepared. Yeah, that's just, that's a hell of a job right there. God, I just looked at my notes and saw Quimp again and went, oh, jeez. I know. Yeah. I actually wrote, I actually, my notes actually say, Miss Quimp again. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, it was effective. So God bless that. Now, listen, the Haynes Jr. and the Carol James storyline. If we're going to be talking about kind of unnecessary, like... To me, I think the entire, the entire purpose was to show the effect O'Malley's having on people. Right, right. And, and it was... It, Carol it, went from this runaway who couldn't handle any rejection to now being this singer with feeling who's able to get married. Haynes Jr. leaves his father's business that he thinks is evil to join the military to do something yeah, for greater and, good. And, and, and that's all because of O'Malley. Like, I get it. And but, it works. It builds stick O'Malley's character and it's... And it's the first time we hear going my way. I don't mean to say that it's ineffective. I just think it just reeks of B storyline, you know? <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> like, this is, what's, this, the subplot, you know? Like, what, what's going on? Like, let's, it seemed, just seemed very, seemed very rushed and forced and. But again, if you tighten up other things, maybe you could lengthen it up. Because what's the timeline that this guy got secret married? quit his job, went to boot camp for the army and <laughs> yeah. was now being shipped off to Africa. Like, right. what's the timeline? That his fa- now his father comes over. Hey, he lays it all on that at once. Like- he, he just quit his job at some point. So secret marriage, fine. But what the hell is the timeline that, his de- that he quit his job had this secret apartment that he was paying for without a job that his dad owns, but was at boot camp. Not to mention, Pops is getting this all laid on him all at once, too. It's like, right. this is my significant other who's living in a property that you own and not paying rent. And by the way, we're married. And by the way, I'm in the Air Force. Peace. You know? Right. And pretty casual, pretty casual morning for the morning your husband is being deployed. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, so just hang it out. They, they crammed a whole bunch of stuff into that tuna can right there where it was just kind of yeah. like, all right. What is the timeline here? I was like, yeah, that's just... I was like, this doesn't make. I was like, is this a year later? God, God bless this movie, and this movie puts a smile on my face and and brightens up my heart. But this is just not effective storytelling. Uh, sorry, it's just not. no, no. It's no. I, I understand the purpose of it because we want to see that O'Malley's having an effect on the neighborhood. Yes, but come on. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a black eye in the movie. So before Pops gets to see his son is now in the military and married, (laughs) the newlyweds met with Father O'Malley and they kind of coax him to to play this song that he's written. And he sings Going My Way, which is going to be the song that he's going to pitch to Genevieve and ultimately the record deals. To save the church. Yeah, to save the church. And I got to say... For a title song and a song that you're going to pitch to, it's just not a very good song. Yeah, I, I, I okay, so not to go too far ahead, I really disliked Genevieve's version, but even Bing Crosby's, I was like, I, I like him, but really this? I mean, it's a B track. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's at a, best, it's a B track, like, call, with the title of the movie as the title of the song. I'll be honest, and, because the song wasn't good, so it didn't grab my attention. So I actually didn't even realize that it was that until <laughs> uh, Carol said, oh, when she was like holding it, she's like, oh, going my way. Like they really hammered it home for the right. audience like me. And I was like, oh, shit. So I went back and listened to it again. I was like, really? It's just not a catchy tune. It's not. Right. I mean, but even, yeah, and <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, it's not. <laughs> right. And I, I mean, there's there's obviously some levels of being intentional in doing that, but. 
Yeah. It's, so Genevieve meets with, with at the Church of the Boys. They sing Ave Maria for her. Uh, that's a little more seasonally appropriate, I'd say. You know, it's, Super church heavy. Church all song. Good. And, honestly. And it was good. It was, yes. it was a good version of Ave Maria. I like Ave Maria. I enjoy. I actually thought that was a good scene. I thought that was cool. I prefer the Sister Act version, you know, where they're clapping and dancing and stomping, you know. But but that was that's the 1990s version yes, versus yeah. the you know, <laughs> right? Dude, yeah, the Motown, you know, the Motown cr- cr- version. Cr- cr- criminals right. hopping into choir life. <laughs> right. It's a no go with the music label. But Olo Dowd is uh, is talking along the record. You got to go to the opera house. We got this. We got. Genevieve is going to perform at the opera house. Genevieve's going to perform. There's like choir boys here. I don't know what the hell's going on. You know, but you got to come down. So they go down and and do it. And again, uh, nah, man, this song sucks. And here's the other thing. The name of the movie is not sung by the star of the movie for a worse version of this song that is making, that is the name of the movie. And then the much superior Singing on a Star song comes yes, up. Yes, the number one song of 1944. Right. So not only did this work in pitching to the, rec- the fictional record label guys, it worked right. to pitching to the actual record label guys and ended right. up being a... In a, real a, life. <laughs> so in, in the world that this movie created with this song as the title song... It is worse than the throwaway song that Bing Crosby and this boys choir of thugs do. With yeah. talk about lip syncing. I think the worst lip syncing performance on earth is the the boys. They yeah. were singing they were singing God Bless America or something. Uh, it's it's just so it was hysterical. But really good song, and I learned today that my two month old son is a big fan, so I heard it today about forty seven times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Dad didn't know that he'd be watching Going My Way until no, this no, week I, and uh, and two month old Cole didn't know that his favorite song would be swinging on a star from Going My Way. Yeah, so he, I played it once. I was like, Oh, this is it, getting ready for the pod and he really calmed down and then he started crying after and I played it again. And he calmed down, and I was like, "Oh shit, I worked myself into something here." Talking about swinging a star here, or as they talk, call it, the Mule Song, I think, as the kids say. Yes, Let's the Mule the Song. Mule song. So I, I have I have this little kind of question prepared for you here. Now, uh, obviously, in the song, we're asking, you know, would you rather be a mule? Would you rather be a pig? Would you rather be a fish? Is there another one I'm missing in there? No, that, that's that's you know, it. That's three, the big. That's either. the big. That's the big ones. What they've done here with the song is, I think they have they've given you the plot of the movie The Lobster. Have you heard of the movie The Lobster? No, I have not. Okay. It's starring Colin Farrell. Okay. It's a recent movie. I think like 2016 or so. And the premise of this movie is if you are single in society by age whatever, let's say it's 35. Okay. So if you're a single person by 35, you have X number of days to find a, a, a mate or okay. a partner. And then you're going to – so you either get married and find this person in 90 days or they're going to turn you into an animal of your choice. Oh, that's this a, is, okay. Yeah, this is an actual movie. I have not seen this movie. I've had, I've had it explained to me, and I've looked at the – it's on Netflix right now as we speak. But okay. I'm a little disturbed and afraid to watch it. You know, I don't, I don't know about – you know, it kind of reminds me of The Walrus, that Kevin Smith movie where the yes, guy yes. gets turned into a walrus. So, like, yeah. I, you know, I'm not necessarily ready to pull the trigger on this one. But it's you know I'm I'm a big fan of any dystopian worlds. Yeah, so, you know, so that's I, what I, I could definitely get into this. So though you are married and, and just have a, a newborn, congratulations by the way. Thank you, thank you so much. If you were in this lobster scenario, what animal would you pick? And Colin Farrell chooses to be a lobster, I guess, or that's what the, what, it, what it would be. I don't know if you I don't know if he actually becomes a lobster. Like I said, I haven't seen the movie. I'm not spoiling anything, right. but that's 
that's the one that he would turn into if he doesn't get his thing done. So if he doesn't get to the timeline, yeah, he he he. The lobster is what he's focusing on, but wouldn't be my choice. But what 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 animal would you choose to be if you were in this dystopian world? I mean, I think first, I mean, I'd have to know more about the world and yeah, how you, you certain get, animals you are get treated to be, in the world. You get to be the animal in in the wild, in its natural wild oh, habitat. You're not like if you if you pick a goldfish, like you're like a goldfish, like in a natural pond, not a goldfish in someone's in someone's living room. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so be, so kind of if that kind of takes being a dog out of it, he's being a. Interesting. Well, well, yeah, I guess you would have you pick like I guess you could you pick, pick to be more of a wolf. You could pick to be a domestic dog, I guess. I mean, right? You know. I don't know, but I, e, eagle hawk has something, you know, to be able to fly. Yeah, you go. You know, yeah. That's the last person I asked that question to. Chose chose that too. He chose an eagle. Um, I myself would be like a lion. You know, okay. I feel like it's like a big badass animal. And, it's living and, out and in Africa. You have a crew. You're not like a. You're not. You're not a solo act. Yep. You have the socialization. That kind of goes along with the dog a little bit where you're always kind of hanging out with somebody. Um, yeah. If you asked this to me six months ago, I would have said a tiger because I've always liked tiger. tigers better than but lions. Then, but yeah, there's too much going on with tigers these days. I don't want to I don't want to shift this conversation into garbage yeah. television. So I don't <laughs> Yeah, it's too it's it's too much. And if if you've learned nothing from Netflix, it's that tiger it's that tiger people are fucking wacky. Yeah, I don't so, want to end up on a meth farm in Louisiana or Florida or wherever. Right. So, so I think lion is. We'll stick to lions. Yeah, we'll stick to lions. So what do you so what do you think? You're going. You, you thought wolf at first. Wolf, wolf or eagle? Wolf or eagle? Okay. Yeah. Um. It's it's just kind of flying versus the pack. Yes. Um. I think I think I might lock down on eagle. Okay, that's that sounds like a pretty good one. What is the life expectancy of an eagle? It, as 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 I'm like com- really long, I don't know. Compared to like a compared to like a lion, I would think like I know like a house cat lives like thirteen to fifteen years on average. I would think that a lion probably is maybe similar, a little less, because maybe it's a little bigger, like maybe size. So, e- so eagle is about twenty years. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that, especially if I'm coming into it. For a lion, you're looking at 10 to 14 years. So the same as a house cat. Yeah, but a wolf is six to eight years, so that really tips really? the eagle. Really? Yeah, so that, that, that six to eight versus 20, I'm yeah, going to it could be one of those like big old turtles that live like 100 years. Yeah, but then you're just so slow. I'm, t- I'm talking about flying or running. Now I'm just going to become a sedentary character. <laughs> no, I don't want to be like a target or like camouflage as a rock either. You know, like I kind of yeah, want to like live my I, life. Right. I don't want some little kid to come see me in the park and sit on me thinking I'm a rock. Yeah, right. right. You'd rather, rather soar the skies for 20 years than like sit there slowly for 100 Right, like, ugh, yeah, that's 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 a long life. Yes, yeah, okay, but I think we'd all rather be swinging on a star than a mule, a fish, or a pig. Yeah, especially the way they they, they don't really put them out well, right? Like, no, I don't. Yeah, a, a mule is an animal with long, funny ears. Its <laughs> brain is weak, but its back is brawny. And the and solos, he says, he's just plain stupid with a stubborn streak. <laughs> he's just plain stupid. But the the. <laughs> The solo deliveries are terrible, particularly from the white kids. Like the like yes. the, the the Asian kid and the black kid, they they actually kind of nail it. Yeah, they nail it. Like, but like the white kids really, really just are not good. Like, come on, you like, get you like your big a, solo. You're gonna be part of cinema history here, and right. you're you know I, I right. don't know. Jeez, tough. So, would you rather be a mule, a pig, or a fish? 
And we're talking fish, we're going to say like generic like trout. Yeah, best. you guys know fish. Fish. Yeah. I, I could be in the water. I yeah, I think that's about right. You're you're kind of always worried about someone eating you, but I guess you are too if you're a pig. Yeah, and if you're a pig, pigs are know, the smartest of the three. Pigs are pretty right. smart animals. Yeah, p- pigs are good, but you're eventually going to be bacon. So people, you know, you're going to be eating stuff just to get fattened up. You know, if you're if you're going to be a pig in the in the wild or. In a place where you're not going to get eaten, pigs probably you'll probably do the most thinking. But a fish, at least you're you're in the water. Some about the life of a fish, I, I can't get my head around. I, I think I'm a pig, but anyway, let's get back to the. Uh, <laughs> well, can back we get to... back to when O'Dowd and the music guy shook hands for about ten seconds too long, did... just like they did in the slap scene? They <laughs> sped up the camera, so it was just this super exaggerated handshake that went on way longer than was comfortable. Yeah, there's there's um there's an interesting use of hands in this movie that does not promote social distancing that we've kind of been dealing with, whether it's no. smothering someone with hand slaps or <laughs> hanging on to their hands way too long. Unfortunately, which again, which felt like a Family Guy thing with Peter like yes. over yep. exaggerating, shaking someone's hand forever, like ah, you think you think you think <laughs> yeah. some like 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 the sh- like the <sighs> shin thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <sighs> like the shin, it's it's the shin gimmick with shaking <sighs> hands, right. Right over. Let's talk golf here. First off, I love the concept of the guy that goes along with the golfers and doesn't golf. I may want to adapt to this role here. Like, so like I when see, my buddies are going to go golf, yeah. maybe I'll just bring a six pack and just follow them around, you know, and, and – In a trench coat. Yeah, yeah. I, I, liked, I liked that concept, you know. Is where, and second that I got out of this is big shout outs – to Father Fitzgibbons for starting his golf career in the sand trap. Like that's, that's a big ball, balls move. Literally the first golf swing he ever took was in a sand trap. God bless him. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, because first we see O'Dowd just trash out of the sand. And then a really funny scene where O'Malley says, how many? And he says three. And Fitzgibbons yep. looks at him and he goes, how many? And he just throws up to five. five. And listen, we all know anyone here who's golfed before who golfs the regular has one friend, colleague, <laughs> person they golf with who is that? Who, yep, who takes five swings and tells you three. We all know. Right. Just You can envision whoever that is in your head right now. I got one in mine. But yeah, so do I. And I love that you don't see him. You just see the sand coming up out of the trap. Uh, that's great. And then, of course, you know, of course they have to have Father O'Malley hit a perfect a <laughs> perfect shot. Just perfect. Perfect. Just perfect. That just defines his character right there. Just perfect. I tried so hard to find out what golf course that was, but I couldn't find it. Oh, uh, well, I would have to think it's the one that has the Babe Ruth hole named after it. That Yeah, in the Bronx. That's what yeah. I assumed, yeah. but I couldn't I couldn't find it. What's, but that's, uh, that would, that, what's that called? Van yeah. Cortland Park in the Bronx. There I, it is. I, I would there have to, that's what I kind of took it as. I mean, they that's what I, that, that would make sense, but I wanted, I was really trying to find out. But that it could be sense. Casino in Queens was another idea. It kind of looked a little like Casino, but I, I would think I would think I, it's that, one of the I, two. That could be Van Cortland, yeah. I think. Yeah, it would sense. either be Van Cortland or Casino. I would think. Mm-hmm. And then you get your your Caddyshack moment of Fitzgibbons uh, takes his shot out, and then, whoop, look at that, that right in the hole. And O'Malley's like, you've done this before, Fada. Yeah. It's like, no, no, first time. <laughs> first time. First I think, time. I think, and he, and he, first time with a caddy in my hand. He doesn't even call it a club. Then we go straight to checkers. So they're just like gaming right now. Yeah, yeah. Just you know what? They're they're just they're just there's money. They're happy now, so they're playing an intense game of checkers. And then I'm thinking like, all right, well, actually, maybe this is going to be a scene where they let like the old guy like 
shows wisdom and he's going to win in checkers and he, he makes a couple moves and then like, no, <laughs> he just the gets biggest, all his pieces, just jump. The worst possible hand that he just got crushed on. Then, you know, we, we kind of get the moment where it says, all right, you know, got everything in order. The church is all set. You're going to go maybe go visit your mom. And he goes, oh, you know what? I might. And then like, he doesn't get two seconds to think about it. Right. Like, just like you said earlier. Right. The church is on fire! The church is on fire! And the church is on fire. Very much on fire. What a bummer. And just like they said earlier on, man, let me guess, every time you get ahead, somebody needs it more, right? And he yeah. says yes. He finally was ahead and comfortable, and then it, the goddamn church burns down. Yeah, and I thought a cool little use of, of symbolism here was the birdbath. Yeah, I, uh, I thought that was. Yeah, we saw I, I, the, and I didn't. I obviously didn't. I, I the second watch, I saw the first scene with the birdbath, and I got because it's so. The first time you see it, it's so like irrelevant as it's going on. We're talking about the birdbath, but yeah, you know, here it is. The birds are here. The flesh is life. Life is here, and then they shoot, shoot on the birdbath, and it's bone dry, and there's nothing there, and he's, you know, the church is burned down, and he's carrying this heavy bucket of water. Let me help you. Nope. 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 And then he struggles to kind of dump it in there, and well, this maybe this will bring some birds back to the bird bath. So I just thought that was kind of a cool, cool juxtaposition there with the two, the two bird baths. Yeah, it was it was good, and it just showed that like he's still gonna kind of keep things up to get as things going day to day. He's not gonna just give up. But it's it also shows how big of a struggle it's gonna be for him. Right. And how right. maybe he doesn't have it in him. But he's going to try, right. but maybe he doesn't have it in him. Then we get our, our our next bedside scene. Father O'Malley's trying to give him some medicine. Father Fitzgibbon doesn't want to deal with it. He's really beaten down and broken. And, you know, he's so, well, when you get the church back going, and he's like, honestly, uh, if we ever get the church back going, you really think it's going to be a church again? We get a quote here, and the quote's about hope, uh, which is obviously, I think, one of the themes of this movie here. The idea of hope comes up, and, and this is Father Fitzgibbons, and he says, When you're young, it's easy to keep the fires of hope burning bright. But at my age, you're lucky if the pilot light doesn't go out. Father O'Malley gives a couple jokes about, oh, maybe we'll get that pilot light burning again. Maybe we'll get that pilot light burning again. Sure enough, the old check comes in. Yeah, they're touring around the country. They were in St. Louis, I think, that day. Yeah, and, and Lyndon cuts, cuts a check for $3,500, which is obviously exorbitantly more at that time. Right, that's huge. So... This, you know, then he perks up and he goes, oh, maybe there will be a church again. And again, like, like a lot of this movie, you kind of have, everything happens very fast. But yeah, all of a sudden I was like, what? Yeah. Everything's good. Church burned down. Oh, we're losing hope. Oh, we're back. O'Malley's leaving now. So now, uh, our, yeah, our I actually sits. had questions about this. So they, sure. they bring him in, they put him in, in, in secret charge. He, he figures out a way to get the money, gets everything back. Fitzgibbons is resigned to being the kind of number two. And then. All of a sudden, they're shipping him off again to be the secret lead of another church somewhere and putting the guy who either six weeks or seven years ago, depending on timeline, was unfit to do the thing in a better situation because the church was there. So now they're putting the guy who couldn't financially manage the church then in charge of rebuilding an entire church. Yeah, so believe it or not, as outrageous as that sounds, this is a very real thing that goes on in the in the Catholic religion is that uh, priests are – constantly being shifted and moved around based on whatever sort of bureaucratic information is coming from. And that's where you even get that line uh, where our, our boy Tony Toughnuts goes, uh, I don't think I like bishops very much. And he goes, well, they're, they're kind of like umpires. You know, you're not supposed to like them, but you need them to keep order. 
And yeah, but this that is a deal, man. I mean, sometimes priests will go and they'll be somewhere for for two to six weeks. Sometimes they'll be there for two to six months. Sometimes they'll be there for two to six years. Sometimes they'll be there for two decades. They're constantly moving around, and it's they don't necessarily keep people in the same places all the time. Right. Yeah. So he's leaving, and Fitz is addressing the it's congregation. Just in the neighborhood, the congregation. Yeah, he's addressing the congregation at the end and letting everyone know that O'Malley's leaving. Uh, O'Malley gives his Browns jacket to old Tony, and now Tony is now going to lead the choir for some reason. <laughs> yeah, to, to, listen, he, he's, he's the only leader there, even though Genevieve's the one touring with She left the opera to tour with a boy's gang or in a touring company to make money because greatest music teacher on earth. And now you put Tony Tough Nuts in charge. It still seems like a, a job for an adult, but not, right. you know, I guess, you know, or he's the, he was the gang leader and now he's the choir leader. He's the, listen, he's, he's the natural leader. He'll, he'll very aggressively, fastly slap the bejesus out of you to get you. <laughs> gives his jacket away. Gives the whole uniform away. Yeah. Yeah. Gives the whole deal. I should have kept it. I'll give it to Tony. He's going to resell it. Uh, right. oh, yeah, that's not making it two weeks before no Tony sells no it. He's not a Browns fan. Give me a break. Right. right. He's a Yankees fan. Tony, yeah. he's going really? to sell that. Sick throwback jacket, by the way. I mean, unbelievable. Know, that's worth some money if you get your hands on that today. That's like a throwback St. Louis Browns jacket like that. Rip. Just really cool, just the co- everything, and I, you know, imagining what the colors are, it's it's definitely a cool look. Yeah, for sure. So O'Malley says goodbye, and there is another great quote here. Think of what this might remind you of here. Uh, so he says to the to the congregation, you know, we're all very upset that O'Malley is leaving. Remember, we just had our hope quote there before. Right. With, yes. Uh, we're all very sad, and we're all going to miss Father O'Malley. But quote, we're all a little better for having known him. Now, this kind of like jarred my memory of another kind of end the movie quote that I thought of in the terms of hope. So here's a here's a quote you might remember from a little movie called The Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Okay, here's the quote. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. Still, the place that you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. I guess I just miss my friend. And that's from Red from Shawshank Redemption. And while it's not really quite the same quote and the same message, it is in the same light after it's a... a right. It's the same vein when the, I mean, you know, in when Andy, the kind of Jesus-esque character, depending on how you look at it, versus then O'Malley, the perfect priest you know the impact they have on your life whether it's over a 60-year prison bid or a couple months in a church where having profound it's profound impact and the meaning that has long term right yeah and i mean to me i i view we could talk about the theme of this here because we're here there's there's hope in a hopeless state and if we're talking about a prison where guys are just going through the motions with parole hearings and they're not going anywhere and they find someone like an Andy comes into your life and makes you change your perspective of where you are and what you're doing and gives you faith and gives you hope within what you have. Or if you're a priest who's been a priest or or any – forget about what the occupation is. Anyone who's been doing a job for 45 years and who thinks that everything that they've accomplished is all that they need to accomplish – Right. You're just Bur- going just burnt about out, under feeling underappreciated. Feel yeah, like there's, there's no future. There's get. no. I can't get ahead. Every time I, I want to do something, something else has to get a give win, and something that breathes new life into you, that gives you hope to say, no, you know what? 
I'm going to rebuild this place. I'm going to start. I'm not going to talk about the 45 years before it burnt down. Now I'm going to talk about every day further while I'm building this place back up. And to me, whether it's Andy Dufresne or whether it's Father O'Malley, they're breathing life into that hope. And I think that you could view this movie, and I'm not to get to make it more abstract than I think it was supposed to be, is that Father O'Malley really doesn't really exist. He's not really a real person. He's he's a breath of he's a breath of spirit and a breath of hope into a place that that needed it, and that's where he'll, he's going next. He's going to right, another church it, that's breaking down, another another neighborhood that that needs help. Our relationship with Saint Saint Dominic starts with the heel winning, right? Yeah, and it ends with you know Kane Senior, the self proclaimed heel, saying giving a mortgage and being like you know to paying the rest of the mortgage and saying like ah you know what. Yeah, I've changed, right? He's it's the redemption of him with, and it's that's again all O'Malley and O'Malley's influence on a neighborhood. Yeah, and you, you look and you say, God, I mean, just this guy O'Malley, he's just he never gets upset. He never, he is perfect. He's this squeaky clean, perfect character. He hits the the ball in from the sand trap. You know, there's just. But the point is, is that you know what he's he's there so that everyone breeds off of that positivity, and and that positivity rubs off on them, and. Maybe if they follow that faith and that hope that they'll that they'll be there improving their lives too, as opposed to maybe the angry atheist in the window who doesn't want to take the rosary beads, doesn't want to have anything to do with them, he's gonna stay shackled up in his in his lonely apartment and not deal with it because he didn't let Father O'Malley's um, spirit rub off on him. So I, I kind of view Father O'Malley as not so much a, a person in this movie, but more of kind of like a guardian angel for this town for this community. And yeah, and who, also when we go back to the kind of Carol Jean, the initial conversation when we kind of talk about the feeling into the music and the why are you, why are you saying, why are you doing what you're doing, and it you know if it's a guardian angel who's kind of holding a mirror up to people so they do better, if that's the kind of purpose of it, and it worked. Yeah, yeah, and and it doesn't have to be a religious thing. Like obviously, this movie is dressed up in in religion and and. Whereas a, a Shawshank really is not. Um, but Shawshank, I mean, you, 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 so much, I mean, listen, religion or not, I have issues with religion, but Shawshank, I think when you get into the talkings and writings and readings about Shawshank is so religious heavy, where this movie could all be, like you said, whole picks, you know, change, motivation, and just positivity, just like, you know, there is always that next step. It's not. Yeah, I, I guess my point. Bleak. I guess my point is, is that if you are not a person of faith, if you are not a person who is believes in religion or anything like that, that doesn't mean that you can't take out of this something. Hundred percent. Hope. Hope. 100%. Hope is something that anyone who believes in anything can get behind, whether it's through your family, whether it's through your friends, whether it's through yourself. Just right. the hope that you can be a better person tomorrow than you were today. That's not. That doesn't have to be religion. Fact. And I think that that's the message of this movie. And this movie is obviously dressed in heavy garbs of religion, of, of, right. of Catholicism. I mean, it's it's a priest. Right. But it doesn't have to be looked that way. And I would hope that maybe someone who isn't into the whole religion thing can still watch this movie and understand the message in there and and get their head around or, or more really get their heart around the message here. Because that's what – this isn't a movie – that was intended for great thinking. This is a movie no. that was intended for great feeling and right. for maybe some self-reflection and maybe some, you know, turn the frown upside down. You know? And honestly, just 
just be a little better tomorrow. Like, yeah, just, yeah. You don't have to believe in shit to not want to be an asshole. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And that's, <laughs> and that's listen, that's a good enough theme for me, for sure. We, you know, kind of stepped on a great final scene. Um, Unbelievable. Just, I mean, just come on. If that doesn't make you smile, <laughs> what you know? Come on, that's just you're dead. You're you're dead inside. And he seals his Academy Award performance in this last scene, where he just sees his mom and doesn't react, smiles, doesn't react, embraces her, puts his head down, and that's it. No sobbing, no crying, no sh- right. proclaiming. Just embraces her puts his head there what a shot what a performance like, just, just a sto a stoic great. man that that is how that man would react it would not be a dramatic hyperbolic tears and crying and hugs and it would just that's what it would be yeah and it's just great it's great great performance there great final shot end credit right and, away boom no and ending with ending with Tourlou, the, the whole choir crushing the Tourlou. oh just make all the feels, all the feels. Yeah, and nailed it. Nailed I kind of like miss, like I like this format that these older movies have of putting all the credits in the beginning, and then the end is just end scene, and it's you get the end, and that's it, and you get up right. and you go. It's over. And it's over. It's yeah, over. It, 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 I kind of like that as opposed to the the credits rising up. And yeah, it, so it listen, that's final. that's going my way, man. And uh, let's go for our awards here now. MVP here. It seems like maybe like every week that MVP is kind of like becoming one of the easier ones. And then we kind of go, all right, well, maybe like a, a backup MVP. This is one where maybe like you can you can discuss a little bit and come up, and come up with something. I, I don't know. What do, what do you think? Who was your MVP here? Uh, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's, it's O'Malley. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I think – and then if you take O'Malley out of it, it's Fitzgibbons. And then if you take Fitzgibbons into out of it – that, that I think it's more interesting. Like, is it Father O'Dell? Well, that's so or? now that's kind of become our like BPC um, participation award. So we'll, we'll right. get to that too. But where the, the the ultra supporting award. But yeah, right. so really, it comes down to MVP. Are you, is it O'Malley or is it Fitzgibbons? I think it's O'Malley. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that raw acting and straight up performance, like 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 acting chops and what you gave and what you put into the to the performance. I think you could look at Fitzgibbons uh, and the actor's name Fitzgerald's performance, and I agree, say that he but... probably flexed his he 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 flexed his acting chops more and kind of grinded out more for what he was. But let's be completely honest here: this is not a movie without Bing Crosby, right? This and is... I think as much as Silent Night is weird in May, it was unbelievable version of Silent Night. Yeah, yeah, because so, he's Bing Crosby. And- <laughs> right, exactly. Was he the better actor? Uh, probably not, but it was his movie. He won. It, yeah, he, and he's listen, the MVP. I mean, let's talk about Bing Crosby now, just because, and, and he is the MVP. And, and this movie is a is a forgotten movie that you'd be lucky to catch at at TCM at, at three in the morning without him. This I mean, should be lovely at three a.m. on <laughs> TCM. Like, <laughs> like that's that's what you want. Like. You, you don't have to pay a ton of attention, but when you do pay attention, there is substance to what you're watching. Like it's, like it's nice. Yeah, he's the spirit of this of this movie, and he he, he carries the movie up. And listen, he's the MVP. There's no doubt. There, his value is above and beyond in this movie. It just is. You can't. It's you unbelievable. Can't I, that. Now yeah, let's no. let's. I want, I want to talk about 
him a little bit, Ben Crosby. So apparently, like, he does other things than White Christmas. I I, I didn't know that. <laughs> when like when I like looked him up, like I just kind of like didn't even realize how big of a star he was. I mean, I mean, neither did I. I like all the accolades we kind of talked about in different. He was things. the leader. I, I was pretty. He was the leader away. in record sales, radio ratings, and motion picture grossing from 1931 to 1954. Yeah, that's absurd. We're that, talking about just... over two decades in those three areas. Like I said, right. I mentioned before, he's got three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Only 33 other people have that. Um, and he got it in, in motion picture, radio, and audio recording. You're much more of a music guy than I am, so I don't, you know, I don't really... But I know, just reading about like how much... Even just like the use of the microphone, like he started it, like the acts that he gets kind of credit for really kind of helping pull along. It's just unbelievable. Like everything is just insane. Yeah, he revolutionized the um, pre-recording segments on his radio show. So like people would really kind of just always go live, but then he kind of worked with the technology and the developing magnetic technology and recording to do specific segments and really what it, really advertisements too. Where he would mix in, and that's something you think about, even like podcasts today with advertisers, recorded advertisers being mixed into, right. you know, a when they, they make it sound live, but it's really they, yeah, it's yeah. Really so he, yeah, you know, the fact that he revolutionized that, he's kind of most well known for his work with uh, other than other than Holiday Inn and White Christmas, his movies with Bob Hope, all the road, right, the, the Bob road Hope two, stuff. yeah, the road yep. two movies, road to Singapore, road to Zanzibar, road to Morocco, road to Utopia, road to Rio, road to Bali, road to Hong Kong. It's like a series of movies he did with Bob Hope. Also, was a co-owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates at one point. That's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> a real true baseball guy. But now, a, a kind of a funny thing too is his his most famous song that people know is "White Christmas," right? And that won the Oscar. And what's kind of an odd thing is is that. It did not win the Oscar for the movie White Christmas. Oh. No, so White Christmas is from the movie Holiday Inn. Okay. Which is years before. Oh, oh that's interesting. The I movie White that. Christmas comes out later. Also has a song nominated in that for an Oscar, too, that doesn't win, but it's not White Christmas. I'm sure White Christmas is in that movie, but it's originally from the movie Holiday Inn. And he sings on four different songs that are nominated for Best Oscar. He's really, like, all over the industry. I didn't realize how influential and how much involved in just different things he was until researching this it's pretty impressive yeah so he this so this is the oscar that he wins he's there's also a sequel yes. uh, which is the bells of saint anna comes out the following year yeah and he's so he's nominated for the best oscar in that as well as uh the director go ahead and, and gets that nominee as well uh leo mccrary so they they and it gets nominated for best picture again so it's a rare sequel to get nominated for Best Picture, and he gets the nomination. He does not win that year, and he also gets nominated again later on in a movie called The Country Girl, where he plays like okay. I guess he plays like an alcoholic who's like just you know still struggling. You know, he's a good spirited guy who says has demons. So very different than Father on the Oh yeah, <laughs> but his a not perfect character. His music is also used, and listen to this one. So it, it, to to this day, right up to twenty twenty, he's still getting soundtrack credits just because his voice is constantly being used here's a list of the shows that he's been that his voice has been credited in using and look at this eclectic list here so here we go soundtracks from the shows breaking bad stranger things bates motel glow mad men always sunny in philadelphia true blood boardwalk empire the simpsons arrested development six feet under that 70s show beavis and butthead the wonder years and show favorite the x-files so that's a wide variety of shows, amongst others that I didn't 
list because they weren't as interesting. His voice has also been credited in the following movies. When Harry Met Sally, L.A. Confidential, Catch Me If You Can, Bad Santa, Polar Express, The Aviator, Rob Zombie's Halloween, Brooklyn, and two other movies here. And though neither of these are Batman movies, it is in Deadpool. Okay, so yep. Deadpool isn't quite I'll be Batman. Over Christmas. But we do, while we don't have a Batman, we do have... He isn't a DC movie. A DC You're- movie Shazam. That's so, right. That's a great call by he's you. He's in Shazam. So we can't quite get him to Batman, but he is in Shazam, who's in the Batman DC universe. Okay. And in the in Shazam, Superman makes a cameo. So we're essentially right there. We're right there because, yeah, yeah, maybe like Shazam 2, we're going to get a little Ben Affleck Batman or something. But now... And I got one last little one, which is, I know you love your stretches. It's also used, his voice, as Bing Crosby, in a Frank Sinatra movie entitled Joker is Wild. So there you go. That's there. That's our Batman connect, if I've ever heard of it. Yeah, so listen, Bing Crosby, he's not going to pop up again in the flesh here in any of these other movies, but a great presence to have him here on the old old podcast this week. Talking about stretches, so I was looking... um, for you know connections and i found um the going my way tv show okay yes starring starring gene kelly who is very famously in singing in the rain which we will talk about in the future because it's unbelievable yeah i i love singing that's that's where i really started watching more musicals because i watched it i was like oh this is fucking dope but so who played father forgive fitzgibbons is that is uh leo carroll who played the terrible doctor in Rebecca. Really? Yeah. He also played the professor in North by Northwest, which we sort of talked about in um, very briefly. Yeah. And um, Rebecca, we didn't really get into that one as much as yeah. we hit the others. But yeah, he played the the doctor who gives up all Rebecca's information in, wow. in Rebecca. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, I, I did say earlier that Swinging a Star was was top of the world chart. Top of the world chart for 28 weeks that year. Incredible. That's really impressive. That's yeah, really impressive. That TV series starring Gene Kelly ran for 30 episodes. Yes. Not terrible. You know, it wasn't a quick throwaway, but it got up there a little bit. The actor who played Father O'Dowd was in it, but he didn't play Father O'Dowd. He was in it for one episode as like a throwaway character. <laughs> yeah. And in 1954, they did adapt this into a radio play broadcast. And Barry Fitzgerald um, reprised his role as Father Fitzgibbons in that. And Barry Fitzgerald is also in The Quiet Man and Bringing Up Baby. Quiet Man with John Wayne nominated for Best Picture. And Bringing Up Baby is on the AFI Top 100 list. Too. I so actually love Bringing Up Baby. I've seen it a few times. I think it's a, that's a really good movie. Cary I didn't realize Grant, that was him in it. Cary Grant and yeah. Hepburn. I've never seen it. Uh, that's definitely unless I've been trying to kind of like see as many of those AFI Top 100s as I can. Bringing Up Baby is, um, like, almost similar to this. Like, it's a movie where, you know, you're going to leave and you'll be like, ah, I'm, ha- I'm happy I saw that. Like, nice. That was, that, okay, was fun. Cool. that was nice, yeah. Yeah, and I did watch uh, Double Indemnity last night, which we're going to get to that in a little bit when we go to these other nominees, and that's on that AFI Top 100 list, too. That also stars Gene Heather, who played... Oh, interesting. Yeah, Carol James, who's Carol in both James. movies. Yeah, both Big top year. movies this she year. She pretty much yeah. stopped acting in the... F- soon after so let's uh let's talk now about our lvp who is the lvp for you in this movie joe so i actually went with the song going my way <laughs> wow 
That is a fantastic answer. Yeah, I I thought about it, and I had a lot of different answers, um, but I I, I think it has to be going my way. You named the movie after the worst song in the movie that the main actor doesn't even play to get to save the church. That's great. That is awesome. I love that. I don't know if I could top that. But who did you have? Because I <laughs> okay, did go back right. and forth a lot. Yeah, that might be the best LVP wonder that there is. And, and I remember like when I first looked this up, like when I first saw it, like years ago, I was like, oh yeah, probably won for best song. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There's a song called Going Away that didn't win. Why didn't that one go? So I don't know if they maybe intentionally made that a B-track or it kind of was a B-track within the sto- within the construct of the story anyway. But. but it was supposed to be the one that won. They only played this, the Mule song because... They lost, and they had the whole yeah, event. Yeah, it's, it is definitely, definitely an LVP quality. Yeah, but all all right, right. so you so go, then I'll LVP, give a person. I'm going, I'm going with my boy, Scamponi. Tony Toughnuts. I mean, he's a terrible actor. Like, let's be honest here. <laughs> he's just a shit actor, and, and, and the accent and the... He's tough to. He was tough to look at. He was tough to. Do. He was just. He just was kind of just like every time he's on screen, I was just like, Ugh. it just. It looked to me like they opened up the tape and let like someone watching the filming run onto the screen and start acting. That's what it looked like. Like it was not. You know, Harmon, Harmon. He had great moments. He, he. I laughed. I laughed with the with the seller jersey comment. I laughed with the smacking in the face. There's some. Really solid performances here. He was this was not one of them. I didn't I didn't I didn't find his character believable. I didn't. He just he sucked. He <laughs> was be playing honest. I thought he sucked. And uh, Tony Tony was on my list at one point, but the slapping scene brought him out of his. Yeah, which is fair. That's fair. Our BPC participation award for our, our, just kind of like someone who wasn't really ever going to be in the MVP running, but deserves like. Deserves like some some props. Honorable mention. Yeah, some shouts to this person. Who 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 would you who would you throw out there? Father O'Dowd. O'Dowd. Yeah, good solid yeah, St. Louis you know, boy. He, he, yes, he he's you know loyal to his guy. Um, he works at a rival church, I guess, and um, you know promises to give the claw Hintel back after if like he could control that. He um, he pretty much bullies the Saint Francis. executives to give them a chance. Yeah. I don't so know what I they're think, doing over there at St. Francis. <laughs> so I, I think he did, you know, I think he, uh, he deserves some credit. I think he did, uh, did a good job. Yeah. Cool. I cool. liked him. I, I throw my little participation word out to, to old Miss Carmundi. You know, just a nice lady. That's fair. You know, just just you, she's just a good utility player. You take her out of it. She's yeah, great cook. She's got that warm meal ready. I just liked her presence on on. Fitzgibbons screen. probably dies thirty years ago without. Yeah, her. and and you know, I think just the juxtaposition of her and the other Miss Carmody I know, who's one of like the most horrible people in any fictional <laughs> <laughs> fictional entity in the mist. Uh, that I just kind of like that 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 built up this Carmody a little bit too. So uh, that's my participation award. What was the scene of the movie for you? I mean, I know we talked about it, and you know, I purposely hate going with the obvious one, but I think, I think the scene with the Irish whiskey to to Rulu is just so yep. good. I think, I think I could sit here and try to be difficult and go something else, um, but I think that's I think that's just so far and away. I think, uh, I think saying anything else just kind of makes you look like you weren't paying attention. Yeah, and a scene that I really loved and and really like kind of like just kind of like was personally affected by was was the scene at the uh at the piano where he's giving her tips on how to sing the um 
not the edge of tomorrow. Right. Not the Artie's favorite movie, <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow. But Artie, Artie P will. Be, Artie P. That's why he's gonna watch for the Edge of yes, Tomorrow. Yes, because the Edge of Tomorrow song. No, the day after Forever, which could be also a Tom Cruise movie. I'm not quite sure. Um, I, I really liked that scene a lot. I, I thought it was poignant and, and, and really cool. But the scene of the movie is what you said. It's a hundred percent. Yeah, if we want to do a participation. Like, like, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, I think like you said, like in the Rebecca episode where you were like, I liked this scene a lot. I don't remember the exact scene that you said, but there was one that you brought up. that was kind of like an off the, off the beaten path one that was cool. Yeah. But then you went to the one. Yeah, when she turned her face. Yeah. But then there's the one. Yeah. 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 But like, I said, but like, you know, I think uh, honorable mention is definitely meeting O'Malley and him kind of go, you know, dealing with the women dealing with the atheist hate the way the atheist is portrayed, but it was funny, you know, playing with the kids. Like, I think that was really good. And it was just really good showing yeah. you. And like, like good, you introduction. Said, good introduction. Right. And you could totally say that the closing scene with the mom, you could yeah. definitely well, say that too. It's the best scene. Right. I, I, but I'm with you. I agree. Uh, the two, the uh, in the, in, in the bedroom where he's kind of at rock bottom and he, and he kind of nurses him back a little bit and, and they cheers over their moms. It's just a really nice scene. Really, really cool. Really well done. Good, good stuff. Just the whole, it's just so good. It's, you know, that, that's one of the scenes that, you know, sometimes a movie, you know, an old movie, you, you, if you want to get somebody into an old movie, you show them something like that, where it's like, no, no, this is actually good. It's not just old and stupid, yeah. you know, like open up your mind a little bit. Like this is unbelievable. This is outrageous what they're doing. And our our, uh, our bonus award, because it is a BPC musical, a song of the movie. I mean, swing it on a star. I mean, listen, it's the number one song of the year. You have to give it to I'll Be Difficult and and Be a Contrarian here. And I'm going to give it to Tularoo, the Irish Lullaby, just because... <laughs> And I was actually thinking about doing that as well. If my son did not hop on swinging on a star yeah, so much cool, today, cool. I mean, listen, it would be too relu. If if you're the Billboard number one song of the year, I think you probably deserve song of the movie. <laughs> you know but, what? But I hate. I I don't. You know, I I I try to not be yeah, the obvious one. Yeah, but you know, I mean, so. that I just thought that the two scenes that that showed up was the most emotionally impacting, impactful. But I agree. The legacy that's left here, the impact that's left here. What do you? Where do you think this is in today? And then, I mean, when you look at like kind of like Oscar stats and like where it, it kind of does like slot into a significant role, but what is the what is the impact of this today? Uh, Bing Crosby, probably. Um, because I mean, really, I I don't know if we were doing this, I would ever come across this movie. But I'm so familiar with the Parson from South from uh, Simpsons because I yeah. watched The Simpsons so much that. Literally, like two scenes into it, I was like, "Oh, holy shit! This is who they're referring to." And once you caught on with the father and family guy, I was like, "Oh, yeah." Um, you know, I, th- I think it's the characters from it. For fifth grade, be using "Swinging on a Star." Yeah, in right 2020. there. I mean, have... I mean, that's that's even though I had would not have put, if I went to that concert, I would not have put together where it was from. But it's still, you know, it's 1944 and 2020. Like for anything to stick is yeah, almost almost 80 years ago. And and I think that. Anytime you're the song of a year, of an entire right. year, and you're looking back at the last hundred years of music, I mean, there's impact right there. I mean, looking back at it, I mean, this is it's, this is it's it's pretty solid. It's pretty stellar, man. I mean, it, it it's the nicest movie ever. Like, if somebody's in a bad place, like you know, it, like there's no like the conflict is kind of benign. Like it's kind of saccharine, but it's not cheesy. So it's and with good performances, I think if I was to suggested to somebody 
it would probably be more around Christmas time when yeah. Silent Night fits. Yeah. But I think it's definitely, you know, I think it's something that's worth watching. I think it's something that kind of as we do this and, you know, let's, you know, part of the conflict, the difficulty with doing this is getting people to watch some of these older movies. Yeah. This is a movie I would really encourage people to watch because I think... I think it's good. I like yes. I enjoyed it. Like it's it's a good movie. Listen, I am I am I am very much not a religious person. I went to Catholic school my whole life as you know, but I am not a religious person. I have many many issues with church and different things that you know, like I keep repeating. I'm actively keeping out of this because I right. think this movie Which deserves is, yes. better than me being a jerk, right. you know? <laughs> but but being those things, I watched this movie, I had no compl- like I really enjoyed it. I think there's much more substance than if you half-ass watch this, it might seem kind of nothing. But I think there's more to it than comes out. Uh, so like, you brought up a good point. Watch on Christmas. This kind of should be a Christmas movie, no? If this was a Christmas movie, I I think if this was a Christmas movie and instead of baseball, they had some snow scene and like a snowball fight with the boys in Central Park, I think this movie is being watched every year. Now, let me ask you this. Did you know that there's a sequel to The Christmas Story? No. And did you know it takes place in the summertime? No. That is a thing. Really? It is a thing. Yeah, no idea. Wow. Interesting. So that kind of has like a little bit of that to this. You know, this is kind of like... A Christmas story in the summertime. Uh, if it's around Christmas time and this came up and the Silent Night scene was coming on, I would definitely watch this again, like without question. The sequel to the Christmas story is My Summer Story, originally really? released in theaters as It Runs in the Family. It's a 1994 comedy. Really? That's yeah. They play wow, like it's like a they play like aggressive spinning. I've seen it. I saw it as a kid. They play like aggressive spinning tops in the streets. I, I do like when I do this. Like obviously. We have a different co-host every week, and right. we're all, for the most part, we're all in, like, a big group chat together. And we, I do kind of, like, like to think of myself, like, how would some of the other guys react to some of these movies? Like, I think, like, an RDB would not have t- the time of day for a movie like this. No, he the first half, the first, first half hour, he'd be out. This would be a much different podcast. It would be me desperately trying to defend this with him making fun of it the whole time, probably. Uh, yes, like the things I'm holding back on, he would be going. Yes, he would 100%. not. He would not try to hold back on. Yeah, I think that Grant Z would love this movie. Oh my god! Like he needs to watch this. Like he's going to watch it for this podcast, and he's going to really appreciate. Uh, he this would movie. love this movie, and one hundred percent, he will love everything about it. I think my brother like, Brendan B and I texted him last night. I think he would love this movie. He's his favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. So. It's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> right up in okay. the alley of that, and then the other guys. You know, I don't. I don't know. I. It's just always kind of funny to see how how this is going. I didn't. I kind of came into this thinking that you were gonna gonna rip this one a little more, just because we didn't talk about this at all before. Uh, I kind of like when we do that because it's always a little bit of a surprise as to it's what we're gonna much get. Much better. So. I'll be honest. Reading the plot when we decided, part of it was like, oh, I get to I got to take some shots at religion, and I was pretty excited for that. Yeah. But the movie does not lend it like you're. It just doesn't work that way. It's just you can't. Well, I'll tell you what about this movie too, though. As it's not preachy, not at all. And it's that's not preachy. Why it's not, I I thought it was going to be heavy handed. Really, it's just they use kind of the church and religion as a backdrop for a story. It's not yeah. the, the it's not religion and church being the story. That's just kind of where the story takes place. So in the old one to ninety two scope, which is always a little tricky for, especially if you haven't seen many or all the movies. But now we're starting to get form of the ones that we've reviewed here, so we can kind of at least piece them within the movies that we have. What, what do you think about them? I mean, this is a tricky one. I'm, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a tricky one when you you start getting into the brass taxes with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think probably we're looking. 
like I really liked it. I'd have to, you know, without seeing all the old movies. Listen, it was better. It's better than Crash. Yeah, I gotta. Um, I gotta say this, and I, I thought a lot about this, and I'm very confident in this statement. I like this movie a lot better than I like Chicago. This is a better movie than Chicago. Yeah, like I, I mean, I've seen Chicago once. It's been a while. I, I would watch this before watching Chicago. Like I'm gonna watch Chicago for the pod because. You know, I missed a lot of the things you guys talked about because it's been a while. But um, like, I liked it better than that. Like, I don't know. I'd probably throw this movie in like the sixties. Yeah, I'll say this. I like this. Chicago is 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 a cold kind of heartless movie. There's no there's no heart to it, and this movie's all heart. right. And at the end right. of the day, when we're talking about two movies that aren't going to be the greatest movies ever made, I would rather a movie with some heart to it. I just think that while Chicago is a really nice production and it's a quality production, this is this is a better movie. This is a better movie than Chicago. I, I This movie made me think about things. It made me think about themes. It made me think about the content that was being presented. Whereas, you know, and I think that Rob Bobcat said it perfect last week. Is there's just there's not much to the story of Chicago. There's really nothing right. to it. You know, there's some. It's another kind of showbiz, tongue in cheek production, and this is a better all movie. These songs and look at all this stuff. Yeah, and I think the '60s is 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 not a bad guess. I think it could crawl as high as the '50s. It's probably a back forty five movie, forty back forty six movie. Rob in the Chicago episode said it this way and I think this is a good way to kind of and I, I think it's going to be something that we want to do moving forward is we're talking about a best picture did it deliver in kind of the three major areas how was it shot how was it assembled and how was it shot what were the performances like and what was the story being told like if you just look at those three areas yeah I like and I like that I really like that point too because it, it takes away kind of all the excess stuff that you want to talk about it just makes you think kind of brass tacks like what is this and what, yeah, I think that's really smart I like that a lot and I think that a, that a real uh, like an all-time great best picture winner or an actual real best picture winner that can hold up with the other has to really be if we're going five out of five it has to be five out of five on all on all three of those it's from ten out of ten it has to be ten out of ten on all, on all those I thought as far as um, the acting performances in this movie, the main players checked all the boxes. Yeah, the top. I mean, the top two were excellent. Um, yeah. And and the I supporting mean, cast was fine. They were fine. There were a couple for the most on the part. Like Gen- Genevieve wasn't great. Tony, we we've spoken about Tony to death. Yeah, I think that great, and I and I don't think that anybody was great beyond that. Like they they were just I, okay. And I think that they, they great, their parts. a movie of great performance has supporting cast really clicking like on when, something that like like for instance like Cuckoo's Nest yeah like Cuckoo's Nest or even like a, a Shakespeare in Love like they're the supporting characters and like the the minutia cast were all really good at what they were asked to do right I thought that the story and the theme was well executed probably not something that would be able to get by today in our more cynical. There'd have to be more conflict today. You'd have to take it out of the church today. But there'd have to be more kind of stakes. Yeah. Like, it's the very, very low stakes here. Yeah. That kind of changed and were inconsistent at times. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a church that burned down. <laughs> like yeah, but that wasn't really part of the stakes. That just kind of happened, and then the mortgage was taken care of, and everything was good. The plot, the plot was sloppy, but I thought that the stakes that existed within the story existed within the Fitzgibbons character. And his 
Well, that's his, where all it was, re- yes. Yes, and his realization with what his legacy was, what he thought his legacy was, and what his legacy could still be. And I thought that that was the heart of this movie. I'm totally cool with the story here. I think I thought the story here had more heart and more depth than a lot of these movies, to be completely honest with you. Okay, um, that's fair. And and as far as it's shot, it's just okay. You know, there's nothing. Yeah, it's fine. Some cool shots here and there. You know, it was nominated for cinematography, didn't win, and I think that that that's probably right. It probably even it probably just got nominated because it, it got nominated for a ton of awards and was right. the yeah. number one earning movie of the year. It was. I mean, let's let's see the side of this. It's the biggest movie of the year. Yeah, huge. And that's that mean that means something. Yeah, it does. It does. So the answer is yeah. No, it's not. And that's probably what we just said is probably characteristics of a back forty six movie. Yeah, and I and I mean, listen, the back forty six of the best movies you know ever of each as year told by of each year of the last hundred years. Yeah, right. So. Like that. That's that's still. It's still really good. Yeah, and and a movie I'd watch again. I totally would watch. Right, me again. too. I, I, I mean, I think you know, I liked it. I think you know, you clearly like you clearly liked it. So it's not like we're we're not taking shots at this movie. We're just you know looking really reality where it falls. Yeah, and I got to be honest, I liked it a hell of a lot more than I thought I would. Like, uh, me too. Listen, I I kind of expected to be taking shots. It kind of it de-snarked me a bit. This is where we go through the other best picture nominees and to take a look at what else is up that year. It's going to start with Double Indemnity. Uh, and we'll actually, we'll probably leave it at, at we'll do that one last because that's probably the one that has the most, that creates the most beef here with this because it is a t- AFI Top 100 and it's a beloved right. Billy Wilder flick. We're going to go first with Since You Went Away. So it's directed by James Cromwell, not not the guy from Babe, but uh, John Cromwell it's directed by. And here's the plot here. With her husband away to fight in World War II, a housewife struggles to care for their two daughters and a pair of lodgers who have moved in alone. Uh, so I just right off the gate, I don't know anything about this movie. I've never heard of this movie. Claude, Claudette Colbert's in it, who's a great actress. But, I mean, listen, we're going to make a World War II movie while World War II is still being fought. Eh, pass. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I have no interest in that. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, that's just, that just sounds like something that was playing to heartstrings uh, that were going right. on at that specific time. And this goes to another kind of timepiece situation here on this next one. Wilson. And Wilson. This, sounds, this movie sounds brutal. <laughs> and listen, Wilson is not about a volleyball. I wish it was. Wilson I'd watch that. is about Woodrow Wilson. And it's going to be a very simple synopsis here. A Chronicle of the Political Career of U.S. President Woodrow Wilson. Now, I mean, when we talk about, like, the lists of movies, and I just said before, like, movies that have heart and substance, like, that sounds like the last thing that I would want to watch, to be completely that honest. That just sounds like a super dry, step-by-step, just, like, tough biopic. I mean, come on with this. We're going we're gonna to do a, a, a Woodrow Wilson bi- a biopic in yeah, 1944. No. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not one that's going to be played regularly on TCM, I'll tell you that much. No, no, not at all. Like, brutal, brutal. No, here's one that you've seen that you said you saw. I didn't. I had not heard about this before we were doing this. So we're, this is called Gaslight. Uh, Ingrid Bergman's in it. Charles Boyer, Joseph Cotton. Years after her aunt was murdered in her home, a young woman moves back into the house with her new husband. However, he has a secret that he will do anything to protect, even if it means driving his wife insane so gaslight you've seen it yeah i actually big fan of gaslight um it's actually it's based off a play from the 30s it's really good uh it's it's literally the guy does all these things to make his wife 
think she's crazy and to make other people think that she's crazy. I, I watch it in the context. I, um, I, I, I run a domestic violence program for uh, uh-huh. men who abuse their wives. And gaslighting is a big thing because when we talk about um, psychological manipulation and psychological abuse, you talk about gaslighting and doing things to make someone, because if you make someone question their kind of self, then they have to rely on you and it builds kind of control and all these different things where you are now controlling them because they can't trust themselves and it ruins their esteem. And we talk about all these things. So um, I recommend this movie and we talk about this movie a lot to kind of bring a context to it. So I've seen it a couple times and it's, it's real, it's, it's very relevant in my day to day world. Yeah. So, all right. So that's on the extended list then I'll, I'll check out. Um, and I mean, with the way we've been these days, I've been knocking off these movies. So I've been, <laughs> I've been able to watch them now before we get to double indemnity, which is the last nominee that we did. There is another movie that was um, nominated for a few things. Wasn't nominated for this picture, which I think, Totally should have been nominated for this picture, so I'm going to add this one in here for this. And it this okay. is Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat. And I watched this movie for the Rebecca podcast where we were kind of picking certain Hitchcock movies to watch just to get ourselves well-versed. And this is one I right. hadn't heard of before that. And the um, the story was written – and the screenplay was written by John Steinbeck, uh, who did oh, wow. okay. of Mice and Mad, is one of my favorite writers. But- and. But you know this is what this is the first year that the Oscars go to five, so I guess that's it, the one that got screwed. It totally would have been in ten, and honestly, like retrospectively, like uh, you can watch. I, I don't know how. I don't know how. I, I have not seen either. I do not believe that Will that Woodrow was better. I mean, give me a break. I mean, come yeah, on. Like, Woodrow Wilson biopic over a, a Hitchcock a Hitchcock movie written by John Steinbeck. I mean, come on. It's just yeah. it's silly. But I don't want to get. Man, this is not a who should have won podcast, right? Or who should have been nominated podcast. All right, here we go. So several survivors of a torpedoed merchant ship in World War II find themselves in the same lifeboat with one of the U-boat men who sunk it. It's a cool movie, man. Uh, I, I highly recommend anyone to check it out. Yeah, that sounds worth checking out. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, hey, Hitchcock and Steinbeck, come on. All right, and finally we end up on the uh, film noir masterpiece double indemnity it's directed by billy wilder it's starring fred mcmurray barbara stanwick edward g robinson this one was one that definitely had twitter was twitter was uh, barking a little bit when going my way came up i said this is one that, that totally should have won i'll get my thoughts on that in a sec but just to, to start up an insurance representative lets himself be talked by a seductive housewife into a murder insurance fraud scheme that arouses the suspicion of an insurance investigator. So, Double Indemnity. You've, That's a good it? plot. It's, it's a great movie. And Billy Wilder is a director who's going to come up here on this list twice. He's he did the The Lost um, Weekend and The Apartment. Uh, two fantastic movies. Two totally top forty six movies, and really two of my favorites. Lost Weekend is a movie that gets undershot on all these greatest of all time lists. Apartment is well recognized on them. This movie, Double Indemnity Man, is very good. It's super tight. It stands the test of time. It's film noir. It's all those dark shots and has that Hitchcockian vibe. It's really good. Listen, here's the deal with this. And this is what this is when we do this. And this is why I have that disclaimer in the beginning. Yes, in 2020, if you're teaching a film class, you're not putting on Going My Way. You're putting on Double Indemnity. All right. That's just. Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. Okay. And and That's this fair. is this is technique is better here. It's more of a it's more of a um, a film critics movie. But 
let's not lose sight of the fact that they're awarding movie of the year, best picture of the year. And there are going to be moments where in time, where a movie sweeps a country off their feet, reigns in the box office, lifts people up during a very difficult time, in a time where many of our loved ones were overseas, they're literally handing out plastic Oscars because we're short on metal. Right. Uh, the 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 major leagues are depleted in players because they're all overseas so much that the St. Louis Browns are in the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, there's going to be years where a movie like Going My Way or Hey, here we go, Forrest Gump, which and right. listen, I'll say this, and we'll, you know that 1994 episode will happen one time. You can argue about Pulp Fiction. You can scream and yell about Shawshank. Shawshank's my favorite movie of all time. There's no world where Shawshank Redemption was going to win Best Picture that year. It just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't. And you can look back and you can say 20 years later, 25 years later, it should have won, it should have won. Okay, but it wasn't going to win. Forrest Gump was the biggest movie of the year. It was also a a AFI Top 100 movie. It was a great movie. It was just going to win. And they weren't going to give that trophy to Pulp Fiction. They weren't going to give that trophy to Shawshank. Shawshank didn't win any awards that year. It got completely overlooked. And it's a movie that aged better than it presented itself when it started. And these are of-the-year awards. They're not looking back 20 years prior, 80 years prior. Not even five years. It's, it's, it's in time. Release yes. matters. Think these things matter, unfortunately. And Double Indemnity is a great movie. It's an all-time classic. It's a movie I would confidently say yes you should put it in a film class yes you should see it if you're interested in film it's a it's a must see going my way i'm 100 okay with it winning the oscar that year and i'm sorry if that's a controversial statement but to me it makes sense historically it just does it fits into that slot in time for me it does and i'm okay with it just the song there's like there was a lot going on it's not just a standalone kind of entity either like there's there's other things. It's not this out-of-nowhere winner either. Yeah, yeah. And it has an all-time great uh, performer in there. It's maybe not an all-time great performance, but it's an all-time great performer, and it's his only Oscar. Uh, it, it, has, it has an important place on this list for me. And that's, yeah, that, I guess that's, that's where I'm going to leave it. That's it's, my story, and I'm sticking to it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Yeah, and that, that's, all, that's all valid, and it all makes sense. Yeah. So, closing thoughts, Joe. What do you got? My expectations were quite low for this. I was ready to kind of come in and make a lot of shithead jokes, and it turned out that apparently any musical I'm just bought in on. Yeah. And we thought <laughs> it, it would good. just be a quick uh, chat it up real quick and throw out a quick episode yep. out there just to keep the string along, and no, we <laughs> ended up having a another uh, multiple-hour conversation and, and, and a good one that I enjoyed, man. Yeah, no, this was great. This was great. Yeah. So stay safe. You know, we don't know. Again, I don't know exactly where this is slotting in. I don't know exactly what episode will be next after this. But okay. um, it was uh, – I had fun. I hope you had fun, man. I hope everyone had fun listening. I hope you're still listening up to this point. And uh, stay safe out there, everybody. And uh, we'll be back next time with uh, something next on the list. Joe, yep. thank you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. thank you, man. Can't wait to do it again. like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams holding a jar. Be a mule. A mule.
ears. He kicks up at anything he hears.